0: All right and we are live welcome everyone to the 10th episode of the Casanova podcast I am your host Mikhail Casanova and I've got a very very special guest I'm a big fan of his content a lot of you or the majority of you I'm thinking everybody knows who this is and this is the one and only JRPG if you can go ahead and introduce yourself tell people about yourself and go ahead and plug your channel Hey, everyone. um,
1: JRPG. I don't know about everybody knowing me. I'm still small as hell. (laughs) But uh, I mean, a lot of people, if you do know who I am, it's probably Xenoblade Chronicles 2 because that stuff just blew up when I put it up. Um, Yeah, the channel is JRPG. I'm Jay and I like JRPGs. (laughs) So if you like the kind of stuff, check it out. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram and all that other
0: good stuff. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, man, that's um your content has just been really phenomenal. I've i enjoyed your Xenoblade Chronicles content that you put out and just, you know, especially the latest one you did with uh Azure was um uh, Azure Knight 2. Uh Knights of Azure 2, and, and thank you yeah. for that. I try my best. <laughs> like, I mean the time and the way you put everything together is just it's so this is so amazing. Like, I'm a real big fan of your content. So, God, yeah, everyone, very much. everyone, definitely go check out JRPG's channel. I'll have a link in the description below. And uh, definitely give him a subscribe. Follow him on Twitter. because amazing, amazing content creator. So some of the things we're going to actually talk about today is um, we're basically we're going to go over, you know, our thoughts on the current state of RPGs, um, you know, do we feel like it's an evolutionary phase that we're in right now? Is it a transitional phase to something better, to something worse, or is it a de evolution of the genre? What we think are the best RPGs of the previous year? What we are anticipating as the best RPGs or some good RPGs to look forward to in 2018? Not the and long list. I know <laughs> we're going to try and get it as best that we can. And also uh, our favorite games of all time. It can be any genre and why. And pretty much an open forum at the end. So yeah, Jay, what, what do you think of the current state of RPGs based on what's been going on in the last, um, let's say, the last couple of years to a decade for a point of reference?
1: Right. So when um, when you uh, actually you know pitched that to me, are they evolving, transitioning, or devolving? My first thought is to say that it's none of those. I don't think that, at least in the last three or four years, any major change in JRPGs has happened. Like, Mm -hmm. we've all seen it before, like strong stories, good gameplay, good writing, characters, soundtracks, worlds. It's all still there. I just think that the mainstream is noticing it more. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, things like, I mean, Persona 4 is uh, and persona 4 golden are just as good as persona 5 but it, it persona 5 just blew the mainstream away whereas nobody really noticed it before I think it's just become less of a niche genre
0: yeah I can agree with you on that it's that's very true
1: but there was definitely a transitional phase and an evolving phase like as if you're putting it back to ten years ago um the ps3 era there was a huge change um back then because Nobody really knew what to do, I don't think. And I was actually in a recent um, interview with Square Enix's president. They actually talked about that PS3 phase where they were still stuck in this PS2 development era where it was sort of different and they weren't using a lot of techniques. So a lot of the early PS3 stuff and Xbox 360 stuff is is really uh, shoddily put together or just they needed to change what they were doing. So it has had a transitional phase
0: yeah and you know i I really agree with you like it it, especially that's a good comparison when you're comparing you know persona 4 and 4 golden to uh persona 5 because i mean like you said it's all about the mainstream media because if we were to go back to like the 90s you know gaming was nowhere near anywhere like in the mainstream media as it is now it's not a part of like you know in a way you could say global culture as it is now and so a lot of the mechanics of games like Persona are still, you know, basically they're, I would say they're kind of like an evolution of what we had in, you know, in the turn-based active battle systems of RPGs of the 90s, but they still have that core essence to them. So, yeah. Yeah. So definitely.
1: And I think um, the reason they get picked up more by mainstream media now is just because even though fans of JRPGs have have seen a lot of this stuff before it's like a, a breath of fresh air for for the mainstream who are just sort of like rediscovering the genre as something that's not niche anymore mm-hmm. because they're the only ones that really uh i mean i've said for years now that the only real place to find diversity is in games from japan because they just don't care about taking risks or trying new things Exactly. It's it's like, you know, uh, EA will set out some crazy goal for Dead Space, which is a, you know, a niche title. Basically, horror games are a niche title. And they'll say, like, oh, we need to sell, like, 20 million copies, like, for this to be good. And it's like, Coetechmo didn't think they were going to sell 10 million copies when they made Blue Reflection, for example. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, I just think it's the only place you're actually going to get Variety. There's just so little variety in Western stuff at the moment.
0: Well, I completely agree with you. It's kind of, um, you know, since you're speaking on the, the topic of diversity, like take, for instance, Nintendo with the, uh, the what is it, the lab, Labo? Like I was yeah, thinking yeah. about that. I'm like, you would never see a Western company take a risk like that to do something different, going against the trend of the norm, you know, against what would logically sell like it's it's risky and that's something like like you said with japan like they will take risks with their games they will experiment because i mean if you look at like their anime and, and most of the things that come out of there it's just it's creative and they, they foster that creativity and that's something that i really feel like western developers and you know could really take some notes from because if you look at most of the games that come out that are shooters, which I feel like have dominated the mainstream for like would you say like the last decade or so.
1: Oh uh, yeah, I mean a decade easy.
0: <laughs> so it's like they're all carbon copy just you know run from point A to B, shoot amount of people, have a set piece happen, story, and then you just keep going, you know, the well, they used to call them in the 90s the corridor shooter. They were yeah. linear. So <laughs> you know there's not a lot of creativity in the only next stage of evolution. I feel like with shooters that has happened is just the monetization of DLC, you know, and paywalls.
1: Yeah, I think, um, that's exactly right. Like the, the only real change with shooters has been, um, you know, people finally jumped on the TF2 bandwagon and started making hero based shooters. That's probably about the only change really. Um, And I guess now we've got the Battle Royale shooter, which is making a huge thing. But, yeah, there's very few shooter stuff. I mean, the way I look at it is that in the West, a developer or, you know, a writer or somebody will come up with an idea and they'll have a vision and then they take it to the publisher, who's EA or Warner Brothers or Activision, and then then that publisher will say you need to do these things and it's like a cookie cutter starter set, you know, like it'll be, mm-hmm. oh, you want to make this game? Well, no, it has to be open world and it has to have towers and it has to have these things. And then, or oh, no, you want to make this game? It has to be a shooter and it has to have this and this and this. Whereas like in Japan, a developer will just come up with something and then they'll just make it and the publisher yeah. will be fine with it.
0: No, I completely agree with you. I mean, think about if you were to say if someone were to come up with the idea of a game like, uh, say, Chrono Cross, or you know, or gears as a Western studio. I don't think with the concept, or even using things like multiverse theory, or you know, Freudism, as like those kind of games used. I don't think. In a Western market, like a company like EA would even take that risk because it's like, we're not going to make money off of that. Like,
1: no, absolutely not. <laughs> Never. It's like when I look at like Ubisoft's um, game library, like compared to what they used to do, they used to take a lot of risks. Um, yeah. Back in the GameCube era, they made like just random RPGs, like evolution worlds. Um, they made a lot of that stuff, and now It's just like Ubisoft just makes open world games and they make South Park, which is like the furthest thing from a risk ever. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just like, it seems that everything that Ubisoft has to make now, they'll get an idea, they'll do something. And then it's like, oh, it has to be open world because, you know, Assassin's Creed was really big before. And so we have to make everything like Assassin's Creed now.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing that really throws me off with Assassin's Creed is I remember when it first came out, it was such a it was such a unique, you know, concept. And it really it took from the Prince of Persia like style of exploration of, of, you know, climbing and freedom of exploration in a sense and just took it to a whole new level. There wasn't anything like it. And then they, in my opinion, I feel like they kind of bastardized it by. It went from one to two to, I feel like two had like three different game variations on it. It was two, then, uh, what was it? Uh, Brotherhood and Revelations. And then they went yeah. to three, and then they did four, and then they dropped the number system out to four. And it's just been a yearly thing up until last year's uh, origins.
1: Yeah. So, it's uh, like, I did a count, I think I did like a rundown a couple of years ago where I had a look and there were like, m- there were almost as many Assassin's Creed games in, you know, like the seven years or something that it's existed, than there are uh, Legend of Zelda games, which has existed since 1987. And, like, it's always crazy that people always jump on Nintendo for doing the same thing. And it's like, guys, there is, like, so much worse nowadays. Have a look at Forza. There is (laughs) way more Forzas this generation than there are Zeldas or Marios.
0: That's very true. Uh, Wow, that's crazy. I didn't even know that there was... More there are
1: so many Assassin's Creed games. There are like thirty something, like including side games. Um and I didn't include m- mobile games in that. I don't believe, Um but yeah, there was so many, and I was going through the list, and uh I think Zelda comes out ahead because of re-releases like um, Wind Waker to Wind Waker HD, and that kind of thing. Oh,
0: okay, I say wow. That, that's 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 kind of insane to think about. Oh goodness like I, wow you, you kind of blew my mind with that i didn't even <laughs> I'm, I'm conceptualizing that right now i was like wow because that series came out in 2007 and here yeah, we yeah. are it
1: really hasn't been that long and it's just smashed out titles and that, that's a, it's it is the basically epitome of western development now i think is they get an idea uh, they they have one big seller and then everything is that
0: yeah, because it's like you, you think back to how it used to be when, you know, in the 90s and the early 2000s, where if you got a sequel, you had a minimum of at least two to maybe four years before you got a, a sufficient sequel to that, yeah. that big title. And it's like now it's like, oh, you know what? It's annual. Like, okay, you know, we got, uh, we got Call of Duty. Guess what? In about Two to three months after that's released, we're going to uh, announce the next one. We're going to leak it.
1: <laughs> yep. Yep, that's exactly right. I think it, the, the whole yearly release cycle. I mean, I'm all for better development cycles in JRPGs. Like, Square is particularly bad. And I think back to the Final Fantasy on the PlayStation 1 days, Final Fantasy 7 to Final Fantasy 8 to Final Fantasy 9 Was all in like a three and a half year period, and they're all vastly different games creative wise. And now, I mean, we went from Final Fantasy 13 to 13 2, which took like two and a half years or something like that, then to Lightning Returns, which was quite short and not much like a Final Fantasy. And then Final Fantasy 15, as we know, was like 15 years or something. So I'm all for better development cycles, but Back in the that Final Fantasy period when they were doing that, they just did it smartly as if they had a different director for each game and they were all sort of in development at the same time because you don't need an entire development team on a game all the time. There are like scenario writers and stuff like that that are only needed for short amount short amount of time. So you can do that in a smart way, but um, it just seems like in the West, it's like, it has to be out next year or or bust. I would like to see game development cut down to, say, two years, two or three. I can't understand how it takes six or seven years or more to develop a game.
0: Yeah, especially with the advancements in technology, it it definitely, you know, it should not take that long.
1: Yes, it's it's a square thing, though. They're still stuck in that thing of, we have to use our own engine built from scratch, and it has to be new for every single game. I mean, they are coming around to that, you know, with the Unreal Engine and stuff. Um, yeah. And But it took them way too long to realize that.
0: So like, speaking of Final Fantasy, um, as someone who's played, I've played almost all of the Final Fantasies, the only ones I haven't played. Only one I haven't played actually is 11. And it's just because when that came out, uh, I didn't have uh, where I was living. I was living in Memphis, Tennessee. I didn't have the internet uh, at home to be able to play it. So uh, I know it's, you know, this came out on the 360 at the time, you know, a couple years down the road. I just never had any interest in at that point. But I feel like as a series, and I've heard, um, uh, no- Nobuhiro, uh, was it, um, Nobuo Uematsu, he had stated before that he felt that the Final Fantasy series should have stopped when, um, oh god, I'm, I'm forgetting his name. Sakaguchi left? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. He feels like it should have stopped because the quality went down. Like, what yeah. Do you, you agree with that?
1: I, um, I hate Final Fantasy 15. um on reflection I played it for like 90 hours my review which I did was sort of half and half um because there are some things that I genuinely love about it but I really dislike the direction that Final Fantasy has got in I prefer Final Fantasy 13 to 15 I prefer Final Fantasy 8 which I hate to Final Fantasy 15 I um I don't I don't Necessarily agree that uh, it had to end with Sakaguchi. Sakaguchi left because of his own failings, um, which was the Final Fantasy movie that uh, Spirits Within back in a the day. People,
0: it's funny; a lot of people actually don't know that. I'm surprised. Yeah, he,
1: he was he basically spearheaded that whole project. He was the one, and uh, after it, you know, failed miserably, he decided to gracefully step aside. Um, and I don't understand why square hasn't i mean maybe they have maybe they have offered him a job back because i think the main problem and i've talked about this so much on twitter is that the people they put in director roles right now don't know how to manage a project i mean uh nomura who is the director of kingdom hearts and was also the failed director on about what on at least two final fantasy projects now because he takes way too long to get anything out and that's something that um that I think upper management should be looking at. Like, why does it, why can, and I, I, I feel so bad for forgetting his name, why can the director of Final Fantasy XIV make, make, basically make an entire MMO from scratch while supporting another MMO in like under two years, but it takes someone like Nomura 10 years of, just flailing around to not even get Final Fantasy 15 half done.
0: Now, Naoki, Naoki Yoshida, I think. That was yeah. One. Yeah. Yoshida.
1: Um, there's, there's such a good documentary on YouTube, um, for Final Fantasy 14 with interviews with him. And, um, it's so good. It goes for like two, an hour, maybe two hours. Um, but I watched that and it's so good to see his perspective on it. And, uh, he was pretty candid and said that there are still things within Square that need to change. He was like, we've made some changes and it's good, but we still have to do more. And it's just true. I, I don't understand how Nomura keeps getting these roles because he's just proven himself for all time to be a brilliant, brilliant character designer, like one of the best, I think, in the industry. But when he's given that director role, that, like, management role, everything mm-hmm. just seems to fall apart. Back in that era where I was talking about the Final Fantasies, how we basically got 7, 8, and 9 every each year, and they're all high-quality games that are completely different. Uh, that, during that era, we basically had Kingdom Hearts, and then it was like five years until we got Kingdom Hearts 2, which Namura is the director for both of those games. Yeah, So we're in the same sort of era, but he's just never been able to time manage a project with any kind of uh, efficiency. But yet he keeps getting <laughs> these roles and the, the and I'm going to stop uh, ragging on Nomura in a second, but it's like, no, after, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> after he was taken off, uh, after he was taken off Final Fantasy fifteen, and um, God, I can't remember his name either. I think I put it out of my mind. The new Final Fantasy fifteen director, but uh, Nomura was taken off that, and then straight away he was given the director role, obviously for Kingdom Hearts three, and also for the Final Fantasy seven HD remake, and at the same time, and awesome. I. I just think, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I just think, so you've taken a director who's pretty much proven to not have any time management skills and putting on two of the biggest video game projects of all time at the same time. I just don't understand. Like, an, a really good director would struggle to time manage those two projects. And thankfully, they did take him off Final Fantasy 7 HD as director, but it's just I don't understand why. I I cannot understand what goes through their heads.
0: Yeah, I I don't <clears throat> I don't understand it either because it's when I look at the style of Nemura, like I like some of his character designs, but
1: he's he's a really good character designer. Like he did a lot of uh, uh he did uh some of the designs in Xenoblade Chronicles too. Um, I really like everything that he designs character wise, but man, he he does not know. Any kind of time management skill, I he does not know how to manage a team. From everything that's been shown,
0: very, very true. And then, too, as far as like being a scenario writer, like I feel like, and I'm probably gonna upset a lot of fans of Kingdom Hearts. Um, I know it has a very, very, very almost impenetrable lore.
1: Uh, it's a yeah, it's a, a convoluted mess.
0: It it really is.
1: It's it's compelling. Kingdom Hearts is compelling to me, but I barely understand anything.
0: Exactly. Like what? Okay. So I've played every single game, and there's no way I would be able to explain what's actually going on because I feel like when I play Kingdom Hearts one, I felt like that could have been its own. Like you know it, it. It was, it could have been one and done in a way. Yeah. It was, it was so simplistic in a way. Like, in a way, you could say, okay, that makes sense. Even some parts of Chain of Memories were like, okay, that makes sense. Two, okay, I I can understand that. But then now that we've gone to, like, we went in the past with, uh, uh, what was that one? Kingdom Hearts. Oh God, I'm I'm forgetting. I can't
1: remember their names either. I I mean, I can <laughs> I just I remember their some of their names, but I don't know what they do. Like three hundred and fifty eight slash two days or something, and and uh, birth <laughs> by sleep, and I yeah. I, just, I just remember all these crazy names, but I don't don't can't even picture what they are.
0: <laughs> it's like when I you know when they st- when they threw in time travel. And multiverse, I'm kind of like, okay, this is almost as convoluted. And I actually like Final Fantasy VIII, but Final Fantasy VIII's story with Ultimia and time travel to me, like when you you look at the fact that it's just an infinite time loop, it makes no sense. And so when I'm thinking about Kingdom Hearts, I'm like, now that they've you know introduced time travel and multiverse, I'm like, it doesn't make sense. And then you're pulling in all these other series into it. It's like, where are you going with this?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I, we already know that for Kingdom Hearts three, apparently the Toy Story section is Toy Story canon, as in like between Toy Story two and three in Disney Universe Toy Story canon. Apparently, Buzz and the rest of them, like went off and helped <laughs> some random really? anime characters. Yeah, it's actually going to be canon. <laughs> which is wow. hilarious to me. It's hilarious because there's no way that that happened.
0: Goodness, I didn't Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there we go. So that'll
1: it'll uh after we play this kingdom hearts game, it might change your opinion of Toy Story. <clears throat> wow. <sighs>
0: I don't like it. I I swear, people who are watching, who are fans of, or you know, whoever's listening that's fans of Kingdom Hearts. I'm not trying to rag on it. It's just, it's really. I mean, it's 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 a convoluted mess. Like, there's no way you can really sit down and explain this. Like, okay, for instance, my wife is a gamer too. She's almost as hardcore of a gamer as I am. She loves RPGs and she loves fighting games and anything with a really deep lore. So when she wanted to get into Kingdom Hearts, I sat her down with a 20 minute video that did kind of like a, a synopsis, synopsis of everything. And we were, I swear, seven minutes into the video and she was <laughs> like, I'm good. I don't want to play this. <laughs> yeah. I love
1: Kingdom Hearts. Like don't get me wrong, but yeah, it is. It's, a uh, huge mess. It's a huge mess.
0: Yeah, like gameplay is fine. I love the gameplay. I love the characters. I love the 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 artistic style of it. It's just I, the story.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I mean that's why I play RPGs. A uh, sorry, is story. That's uh, it's why you know. So you like Final Fantasy VIII, um, but I don't because uh, I just don't like the story. And it's the same reason why. A great classic. You know, one of the most beloved Final Fantasies of all time is Final Fantasy X. It doesn't really do much for me. Um, I'm just not interested in that story very much.
0: Mm-hmm. And then the whole, they tried to tie it to Final Fantasy VII. I'm like, why?
1: Like, yeah, exactly. Why? <laughs> but also, I mean, I, I'm a huge, so it's it's story and characters for me. I find it really hard to you know, really love a game if I don't get attached to at least one character in, in a strong way. And, um, and I'm a huge lover of villains, evil guys, you know, the anti-hero. And so for the villain, for the majority of Final Fantasy X to be a sentient giant black shark fin, I, it's just such a disappointment.
0: Yeah, I think they went into more detail about that in, um... Yeah, I mean, 2, it,
1: right? it, it, it isn't, a, you know, I'd send you a giant black shark fin, but, like, when you're playing Final Fantasy X, that's basically what it is, you know? There's the minor antagonist of Seymour, who is my favourite character from that game, you know, despite being written pretty poorly as a villain. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's... it's I, I hate the idea that... You need to, you know, like, uh, things should stand up on their own merit, and, like, when you're playing Final Fantasy X, for a majority of the time, the only thing that the, the characters are scared of is Sin, which is, all we see is just a giant black blob in the sea. It's not a good villain, and, yeah, you know, it comes full circle eventually, but it's it's just not, uh, I, I don't find it interesting.
0: Yeah, and um... I think too, because um, I'm going to admit this, and a lot of people are probably going to be shocked to hear this from me. I did not play ten 2 because <laughs> I came off of ten. I played ten back when I was oh God, hell, was I? I think I was thirteen or twelve or something when I played it, and I loved. I loved at the time. Because I was going from Final Fantasy to Final Fantasy to Final Fantasy. I, I started off with 1, and, and that was the last one I played at that time. It was 10, and I'm like, I'm, I'm loving it. But yeah, I couldn't, like, when I saw the commercials for it, with the way that 10 ended, I was like, okay, I'm heartbroken. Like, that's one of the games where I actually cried over it. And then when I saw... And you know was at the time i was watching like uh reading game informer and, and uh egm magazine and they were talking about uh the next one 10 two and they're like oh titus is you know he's he's not how do you okay i'm gonna segue out of that for a second <laughs> is it titus or titus i'm confused uh, i always say
1: titus but um i think that it's titus for some reason i feel like that it's but but I I mean the I always say Titus because it just makes sense with the whole Final Fantasy naming scheme. You know, they're named after, you know, some sort of weather event or some kind of thing like that, squall, cloud. It doesn't make any sense for it to be Titus to me. Yeah. Should be Titus because obviously it's based off the tide.
0: Yeah, because even in um King Keen- well, in Kingdom Hearts 1, they said Titus, in Kingdom Hearts Two, they said Titus. And I believe in the, the city of games, it kind of flip flop back and forth. Mm. And I was like, yeah, what?
1: <laughs> He'll but, always be Titus to me.
0: Yeah. Same here. Um, but you know, b- back to my original point where I was saying I didn't play, I, I, at the end of 10, I was just emotionally just done. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I feel so bad for Yuna. You know, she got, she doesn't get to live with the man she fell in love with. And, it's okay, it she's a
1: pop star now.
0: Yeah, and then when they when they showed that, I was like, wait, what? You mean all that we went through in 10, now we're doing Charlie's Angels pop star. And not to sound like sexist or anything like that, because I'm not. It just that premise turned me off after such an emotional journey in 10. So I didn't touch. 102 but a lot of people have told me oh you got to play it it's amazing the story gets really good it you know it
1: <laughs> yeah i mean the the problem is um that it's called 102 i think uh cuz uh it it's a really good game on its own merits and um you know with a with a little bit of uh writing tweaking and new characters it could have been an entire Final Fantasy, you know, a, a brand new entry it didn't have to be ten. Two, I think that's the problem because ten is so beloved. Um, let's say I say I'm I'm not a huge fan, but I know how loved Final Fantasy ten is, and uh, to have Final Fantasy ten two sort of attached to that is it's strange. It is really odd.
0: Yeah, that, that's very true. Um, it it just and. That was the first game to start this whole sequel thing that's been going yeah. on with Square, and I don't feel like they've been very good at making sequels. Like if we were to even if we were to talk about Final Fantasy 13, when I originally played that, I was like, okay, this is very very linear, but I, I didn't mind it. It was not. It's still not one of my. Uh, <laughs> it was not one I, of my I don't Thirteen
1: at all. I I, yeah. uh, I quite like thirteen.
0: Yeah, like I, I had a good time with 13. But then when it went to the part where it got, you know, like we had the 13 2, and then we had lightning returns, like I felt like the way that 13 ended, it, it could ended, have been done. Yes, yes. So when I booted up 13 2, I'm wondering when did this all happen? And then I found out they retconned the ending of 13.
1: Yeah. 13.2 so like, uh, oh. is a better game. Like it's just a better made game, but it's like, you don't, Final Fantasy never used to, you know, try to, because 13.2 is basically an apology um, because, you know, there was such sort of furor, even though lightning is one of the best rated characters, um, mm-hmm. if you have a look at opinion polls. Final Fantasy XIII as a whole is obviously there was a fair amount of furor over it. Um, and, yeah, XIII was sort of like an apology, and it's just, it doesn't make it, like, Square has never been one to be like, oh, you know, we're going to make a whole sequel now because, you know, you didn't particularly like that game. They they did tend to really start this thing off where they just couldn't leave it. They just can't leave it anymore. They can't just make a game on its own merits and move on to the next thing, which is why I have no doubt that the next Final Fantasy is not going to be Final Fantasy 16. It'll be Final Fantasy 15 2.
0: So I know you said earlier you put like 90 something hours into 15. I got it the day it came out. I played. At least up until chapter seven or eight, and I just stopped. It did nothing for me. Like I, I know I should probably finish. 15 yeah, this net no boy, you've seen
1: all the good stuff.
0: <laughs> it just never did anything for me. Like I, I really, I don't know. Yeah, it, it did. It 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 didn't feel like it, it didn't feel like a Final Fantasy title. It felt like they went with the J-pop thing a bit too strong. Just... I actually,
1: uh, I've never said this in a video before. I've talked about it to my friend, but I think that uh, obviously they made Final Fantasy 15 because they wanted it to sell gangbusters in the West. And it did yeah. sell gangbusters in the West. But um, I feel like that could have been an entire new franchise for them. Don't call it Final Fantasy. Take out the tiny little Easter eggs that you have into Final Fantasy. Like, what is it, four Summons or something? take them out or change them slightly and call them something else. Don't have chocobos, uh, have a motorcycle instead. And you basically have a new franchise called Glaive, which you can make. And it's your Western focused RPG. Um, And you still have the Final Fantasy series, which is still about fantasy because that's the problem with Final Fantasy 15 is it's not fantasy. It's not even close to fantasy. It is so steeped in realism and being real that it's no longer Final Fantasy anymore.
0: Yeah, I agree with you on that. It...
1: And that it really annoys me. Like the all the character designs are so poor and lazy. The entire main cast is in nothing but uh, black jean shorts and leather jackets, and it's just like I could go down to my local shopping center and buy that exact stuff. Like it wouldn't even be hard to cosplay. And there's just, like, no creativity. And the one... Sorry, the two characters that actually have interesting designs in Aranea and Ravis, and both of them are so poorly developed, especially Ravis, that um, it really killed that entire game for me. When I look back and think how poorly Ravis was handled, Mm -hmm. it makes me angry. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Like... (sighs) I agree with you. They they could have gone the route of just King Slave and I would have been fine with that. It it just the fantasy element aside from like the
1: Yeah, I mean that yes, there are monsters and stuff. But I mean some of the monsters look so similar to real life animals, like just dogs and stuff, and all the environments are basically just lifted straight from reality. Like the yeah the desert is basically just any old desert in Nevada. And the uh, one of the cities is exactly like Venice and it's all just like, there's one place you go and uh, it's based off a place in Spain, I believe. Um, Mm -hmm. And people, there are literally all the NPCs are just walking around in like Hawaiian shirts, like, and it's just, it's exactly like real life and it's not why I play a final fantasy game. I don't want to be transported to an alternate version of Earth. I want to have, that, that is pretty much no different apart from some monsters. I want to have a fantasy game. Doesn't have to be a high fantasy setting like Final Fantasy IX. It can be like Final Fantasy XIII or Seven with weird tech stuff. But mm-hmm. man, Final Fantasy XV, and that's why I'm so scared for the rest of the series or so worried about it because all, uh, Tetsuya and Nomura, uh, sorry, Nomura and who's the Final Fantasy XV director now?
0: Uh, Tabata?
1: Yeah, and Tabata. If you hear them now, I, they've in the lead up to Final Fantasy fifteen in interviews, both of them used the word "real" and "realism" way too much, like mm-hmm. to be talking about Final Fantasy. And it's why I'm so worried for Final Fantasy seven HD because uh, before Nomura was taken off the project, he had multiple interviews where he said, "I think everyone's going to be really uh, pleased with the realism of it." You know, they change the battle system so it's more real. And I just think, why are you so concerned with being real? We don't we don't want that. Um we, we just don't want like we want them to carry weapons that are physically impossible for them to carry. And we want them to be doing backflips or you know, we want them to be doing things that are impossible. We want to be in impossible places, we want to be transported to a magical world that we can't even dream of. We don't want to be transported to a slightly altered version of the uh, earth we live in right now.
0: Now, do you think that the reason there's so much focus on realism could be just because they're wondering what could be the next, I guess they're looking at trying to make an evolutionary step towards, you know, and like evolution, evolving, RPGs, so you think that the next step is realism versus more fantasy orientation.
1: I mean, it's possible, but uh, it's just um, Tabata and Nomura seem to be getting all the big jobs, and it's something that Nomura has generally always been concerned with. Um, Kingdom Hearts, you know, while not in any way real, had the action battle system at the time because he felt that was more real, you know, it's, uh, he, he's a really big proponent of action battle systems. He also did, uh, the, uh, crisis Core, final fantasy seven crisis Core, which again, moved to a more action battle system and more real sort of, uh, feelings. And that is his thing. He's always been super obsessed with the realism thing. And so the fact that he keeps getting all these director roles pushes them in that direction. Naturally, if he's in charge of the direction of the game, it's going to turn out, uh, the way he wants it to, and um, Tabata seems to have that similar sort of thing. He likes that the real aspect.
0: Okay, and
1: I mean uh, here uh, they've still got, and I really don't know what is going on with um, Hiroyuki Ito. Is he was the director of Final Fantasy IX? He was scenario writer and overall designer of Final Fantasy Tactics. He was director mm-hmm. of Final Fantasy XII. Um, he's just been like MIA. I, we haven't really, he's, he was, uh, you know, a, a producer or special thanks for the Final Fantasy XII remake. Mm-hmm. And that's it for like the last, like seven years, five or more years at least. And I just feel like why he's, he is probably one of the most proven directors that Square have. With everything he's ever touched, has been essentially gold. Final Fantasy IX, Final Fantasy Tactics, Final Fantasy XII, which, while semi polarizing, is now pretty much widely loved. And um, where is he? Why isn't he in a director role?
0: Yeah, uh, that's a very good point. That's, that's, now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, that's very good because Final Fantasy IX is amazing. And yeah, Final I also Fantasy f- 9
1: is one of my favorite games of all time.
0: I also feel like Final Fantasy 9 never got the love you know, or adoration that it, it could have because it came out.
1: Yeah, it came out towards the end of the PlayStation uh, life cycle.
0: Yeah, it was in that transitional phase where we're looking at stuff that came out around the same time with better looking graphics. Like, I believe the same time that Final Fantasy 9 came out, we had Evolution 1. On the Dreamcast, it looked phenomenally better. It may not have been better story-wise, overall, but you know it looked smoother. It was more realistic in the sense of high. Well, not realistic. It was more high-def looking than Nine yeah. was. And you had, at the same time, coming out as that, you also had um, Time Stalkers on the Sega Dreamcast, which I feel like was a very, very poor follow-up to uh, Land and Lady Stalker. But it also looked better than Final Fantasy IX, and I just, you know, we and then we knew that the following year we were getting Final Fantasy X, and we'd already seen what that's going to look at. So it's kind of like it came out in a very, very (laughs) yeah.
1: Retrospectively, I think a lot most uh, a lot of opinion polls that come out rank nine really highly up on the list. Um, And it is, it's easily my favorite Final Fantasy and one of my favorite games ever. And um, yeah, it did hit that transitional period, but it's a really, really solid game. And it was supposed to be a uh, sort of like a love letter to the rest of the series. Like it was a, uh, a culmination of all the things they'd done since one. And then 10 was supposed to kick off this, this new sort of thing. And they, in 10, it was sort of half and half, you know, they, they moved uh, they they kept a lot of the fantasy stuff, but you know maybe pushed in the in slightly in a different direction, and then um, and then we had twelve, which was another sort of half and half, and then thirteen that went full tech world, um, and fifteen which just basically moved it from tech to real. Final of easy fourteen uh, the MMOs I find I know they are technically main series titles, but I find it so hard to include them in. The direction of the series because the MMOs is sort of their own thing. I think uh, they're not the directors and people who design those games aren't too worried about the direction of the main series.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Now I know people have, have brought this up in the, in the comment section or the chat, and I want to get your opinion on it because I feel like, or I'm, I'm actually let me take that back. So people f- have stated in the chat that Lost Odyssey was better than Final Fantasy 15.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would
0: go I would go so far as to say Lost Odyssey was better than Final Fantasy 13.
1: Narrative wise. Yeah. yeah, I absolutely agree.
0: And I mean it I was am- it was
1: basically the Final Fantasy it, it was basically Final Fantasy I mean, yeah. that's that's what Lost Odyssey was. <laughs> it was Sakaguchi um, doing his thing um, just for a different company.
0: And I feel like them putting that on the Xbox was kind of like sending, sending it off to die, in a way. Because it was amazing.
1: Yeah, and don't even get me started on that whole Xbox thing, because... <laughs> It's bullshit that uh, Microsoft haven't even attempted to put half that stuff on backwards compatibility. And I know Lost Odyssey is now, and so is Blue Dragon, but, like, where is Tales of Vesperia? And where is oh uh, where is infinite, infinite Undiscovery? Where is Magna Carta 2? All of these games are literally exclusive to the Xbox 360, as in they can't be played anywhere else. And um, it's crazy that they're like, oh, yeah, let's make like Fallout 3 available on backwards compatibility. It's like, why? We can play that like everywhere. We can play that PS3. We can play that PC. We can play that Xbox. Like, it's so annoying that I have to have an Xbox 360 around just so I can play like just so I have the opportunity to play four games.
0: And uh, Power Level Amy in the chat brought up Eternal Sonata.
1: Yeah, Eternal Sonata um, came out on PS3, and it's a vastly superior version.
0: (laughs) Really, (laughs) but um, PS3? Yeah. Oh, I need to try it then. I didn't know. Yeah, they,
1: um, they, it's you know, it's it was semi like uh, because Tales of Vesperia also came out on the PlayStation 3, but it never got localized. And basically, all of those games, apart from Infinite Undiscovery and Magna Carta 2, I believe, were made into PS3 games that had better stuff.
0: Yeah, because Tales of Vesperia on the PS3 in Japan, you had it gave. I think you were able to play as Flint in that one. Yeah, and, and it, the
1: extra content and yeah, it was a vastly superior game. And that's yeah, they, they never even thought about localizing it for some reason. Vesperia remains one of the highest selling games in the Tales franchise, and it's crazy to me that they haven't even thought to bring it to backwards compatibility.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't. At all, get that? Like, that's, and I'm not gonna lie, that's my favorite of the Tales series. Was I just love Yuri, you know? That's, I hated that...
1: the gameplay. I thought it was really? so slow. Yeah, so Even slow. Mm, it did get better, it did get better, but Vesperia ranks, mm, it's not in my top five.
0: Oh, huh. interesting.
1: But I'm oh, way. Uh, I'm not. I'm not uh, a normal Tales fan. I, Tales is my favorite video game series, and uh, but I'm so far outside from what uh, people would normally expect.
0: So, would you say that uh, Tales of the Abyss was the best? Then?
1: No, that's probably five.
0: Wow. Okay, we got to delve into this because people probably gonna want to know what's your thoughts. Tales games, top Uh, five. (laughs) Top five, um, Exilia, uh,
1: Symphonia. Symphonia gets by a lot of nostalgia, though, but I think that is still one of the strongest stories in the series.
0: Yeah, Um, I mean, a lot of turns that were unexpected at the time, cliched or not, yeah.
1: Yeah, Uh, I think uh, Symphonia had a really amazing story to tell, but Exilia was uh, – this is something like Biseria, which I would – I, I would actually put Biseria as number five and Abyss as number three. I was maybe being a little bit harsh on it. Um, but uh, Berseria was sort of praised for this, you know, like, oh, it's a, you know, it's a new direction. or oh, It's it's a rebirth of the Tales franchise. But if you go back and look at reviews for Tales of Exilia, there was a better reception for that than there was for Biseria. And, uh, I think Exilia is like criminally, criminally underrated. And I don't know why nobody thinks of Exilia when they think of tales. I think that had an incredibly strong story. Um, all the characters pretty much worked and were really well written. I really love Exilia a lot. I actually have, uh, two tales of Exilia tattoos in Gaius and Agria. Um, I also have Tales of Symphonia Tattoos as well, but those are my top two. And then uh, we have Abyss, we have uh, Zesteria, amazingly. Gameplay-wise, you know, it made some mistakes in trying to change things, but I think that story and the characters were mostly really solid. Um, and then, yeah, we moved down Vesperia and uh, Exilia 2, Biseria. Because I wasn't too thrilled with Biseria. I only really loved Maggie Lou.
0: Ran, very random fact. Everyone who's watching or listening. I love Tales of Zillia so much that my youngest daughter's first name is Xillia.
1: No <laughs> That's awesome.
0: And, that is uh, awesome. Esteliz from uh, Tales of Vesperia. So my youngest daughter's name, her first name is Zilia Esteliz. And a lot of people were like, "Where did that come from? That's so original." I'm like, "Yeah, you can't tell I'm a gamer."
1: <laughs> yeah, well, for uh, for anybody listening, I am. I actually legally changed my name in real life um, to Gaius.
0: That's dope. I love. I that. also also <laughs> changed
1: my last name to Maxwell after the Summon Spirit. Really cool. Yeah so yeah that's awesome. I that's that's how much I love tales and uh, <laughs> more specifically, Auxilia
0: and um, and symphonia yeah um what are your thoughts on let's say uh, other games like you know blue dragon do you think that was good do you think we need like a sequel to it and what's the other game the last game they made the last story oh my god your
1: thoughts Mm. yeah uh so there are two blue dragon games one was on the ds which you know um i have actually that both of them are on my list to be made into um games you missed uh of a games you missed video because blue dragon is really cool it's really cool uh really cool game solid i love that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um i don't know if making another title is worth it um Mm -hmm. i kind of feel that blue dragon as a concept like we're sort of dead in the water as it come out because it's it's super niche nobody really got on board with blue dragon i was surprised when they even made the second game um but you know the last story these kind of originals you know the the one-offs the new things that we need more of that um which is not to say we aren't getting it with jrpgs at the moment um you know, JRPG's are full of risks and new stuff at the especially 2017 and 2018. But um mm-hmm. yeah, I I love that kind of stuff. I love the love story. I love Blue Dragon. I love uh definitely taking steps outside of of well-known franchises.
0: Mhm. Definitely. I mean, I think I I fully agree with you. We do need more one-offs and if we were to talk about say like the uh the Xenoblade series, in a way, like Xenoblade Chronicles 1 to Xenoblade Chronicles 2, uh, even though they are direct sequels, if you guys play towards the end, they are, in their own way, standalone entries.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you don't, you definitely do not need to have played one to uh, get the full story in Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Like, you can play them in any order as well. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You don't have to play one first to play two you can play two and then you can find out that twist by playing number one but either way if you just play one or the other i don't think it defeats any purpose of uh the story it's just that you get a better understanding of uh things that are happening at the same time i guess you know it's it's uh they're standalone stories yeah and um i think that's what i love about uh xenoblade a lot is that each game including x has essentially being standalone and while similar also vastly different from each other.
0: Yes. Very, very true. Um, man, that, that conversation just went, I, I like seeing, this is one of the things I, I, I try to keep really present in the podcast is I love organic conversations because you can just go wherever with it. You know, <laughs> it's, it just, yeah. it's like music. It just takes you and you, you just on that journey with it. So um, man, that's amazing. Um, what, what do, do you do you
1: want to get back on track with uh with the best RPGs of 2017? Then
0: I guess we. I mean, if you want to, or if we can keep going, whichever way. Man, it's it's. I'm I'm down for either.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I I think. uh I don't know where I don't know where we're gonna get. Probably just me complaining
0: more about Final Fantasy. <laughs> no, that's so, that's that's fine though. I mean, it's it's all organic. So, I, I was actually going to ask you if you think that we need to see a revival of the Fantasy Star series, not in the sense of the online. Although I would love to see Fantasy Star Online come back.
1: Um, I mean that that series think... is still running, but they just don't. Uh, Sega has no interest at all to bring it to um, to the West, which is a shame. There's a new entry on the Switch which I would love to play if I could actually, you know, competently read Japanese.
0: Yeah. I can and that's a that's a fancy star online 2 cloud, right? Yeah, Cause, yeah. Yeah. Because I, you know, I would love to see that I, I I think if they brought that to America or, you know, internationally, I think it would do really well. I just I'm wondering is it that they feel that there's no audience for it? Um, they feel it's it's too niche. I mean,
1: S- Sega thought that there was an audience for, buddy Sonic, whatever that crappy Sonic game they just released was
0: All Forces.
1: Yeah, they thought there was an audience for that. For I don't think Sega knows what they're doing. I don't know how they keep turning a profit. They somehow do, but um, you know.
0: I mean, I would uh, be completely honest with Sega. There are some franchises that they could bring back that would make so much money. Please bring back Shenmue in the sense of like a collection of one and two for the modern day audience to be able to play without having to emulate it.
1: (laughs) If they are not working on that, if they are seriously not working on that right now, they are morons, colossal morons. Um, With Shenmue 3, you know, in development with huge crowdfunding uh, support with huge, just in general excitement around that project. If they aren't working on a one and two remaster, they are morons.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, there's no, I mean, with the fact that we have three, which I don't know when three is coming out. I'm not sure if it's this year, if it's, it's probably going to be next year.
1: But if, yeah, I don't don't think it will be this year. I think they had, I think they just said when it's ready, but I feel it'll probably be a 2019 title.
0: Yeah. And it's like, if, if, if anything, I think what they should do, because I'm looking at, I'm looking at Shinmu the same way I'm looking at Bayonetta, even though those are two entirely different genres and games, if I'm looking at it in the sense of, we've got three that was announced a month ago. So what they're doing is bringing back a collection with one and two to get you prepared for three. I think yeah. when it comes to uh, Shinmu, they need to do the exact same thing. We need to have a one and two, because those one were super phenomenal games. Storyline, you know, real Hazuki was amazing. That's that quest for the Dragon Mirror. I love it. But Sega, for whatever reason, I mean, Yakuza is a great series too. I'm a fan. Yeah,
1: Yakuza is a, a crazy good series. It's the one thing they do really well, Sega.
0: Yeah, but I'm wondering why can't we have both? Like, why can't they bring back classic series like Fantasy Star? to do really well, or um, what's another series they did, the Landstalker series, which was really good, which was a really good alternative to Zelda. There's so many series that Sega has in, you know, the the bank, as you would say, that they're yeah. just not doing anything with it.
1: They're not the only they're company. Just... Capcom, uh, <laughs> Capcom with Breath of Fire. God, I would love to see a new Breath of Fire.
0: Um, dude, we... Especially after Dragon Quarter, why?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, the uh, Breath of Fire is still running in Japan as mobile games, which seems ridiculous.
0: Oh man, and even Konami, like I okay, I'm not gonna really crap on them for the Metal Gear Solid, Metal Gear Survive because I played it. I'm getting a review copy of it, and it's okay. I mean, I like the mechanics of Metal Gear Solid Five. However, I would rather see a um. Uh, it was a sixth entry in their sukoden series
1: yeah yeah exactly it's something uh again it's like there are certain companies that um that really only they're not interested in that in that genre anymore they just sort of mm-hmm. you know like even uh you know square has they reevaluated after Bradley default did so well. And then they opened up a bunch more, you know, uh, smaller, different niche JRPG titles and even the new studio, you know, to run lost Sphere and, um, and I am Setsuna. And also mm-hmm. that new, uh, studio, they opened up with uh Hideo Baba from the Tales series. Um, when mm-hmm. he came over from Bandai, you know, but before that they were sort of headed in the direction that nobody wants to play JRPGs anymore. So, we're not going to do that anymore. And yeah. uh, I think there are still a lot of companies straight in there. And uh, I, 2017 should have like rebooted their thinking in, you know, for these companies that still believe that JRPGs are niche titles, because um, what were the, you know, the, the five games that were basically up on the top five of 2017 of everybody's list and every award Persona five Nier automata Legend of Zelda, you know, Legends of Zelda isn't a JRPG, but it's a very Japanese game. Mm-hmm. I mean, these, the Persona Five and Nier Automata are about as JRPG as you could possibly get, and uh, and they were loved universally by critics, by audience, and uh, especially in the West. I I don't understand why companies are still on this thought that you can't have a turn-based game anymore, or you can't have a really crazy JRPG anymore with crazy ideas. I think people are ready for that. I spe- The mainstream is more than ready for that now than they have ever been.
0: Exactly. I would love to see a full-on revival of the, the JRPG in the traditional turn-based style. Like, please, like, Square, all these yep. gaming companies, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably not, but if you were, please bring them back. You have people that would go out and spend money for it. I yep. would love to see a Skies of Arcadia HD and Skies of Arcadia Two. I would love Give to me, see uh, Baton Katos from the GameCube. Yeah, a collection, Origins and and Baton Katos. I would love. Give yep. me a third one. I mean, yep. <laughs> and that that's the kind of thing. Like you think back as the GameCube. I love the
1: GameCube. There weren't that many games on it. Uh, there weren't even that many RPGs on it. But every single one, like, was vastly different. Uh, you can you can make a JRPG that's that's super like you don't have to have a turn-based battle system. You could have this crazy card-based battle system like they had in Bait and Katos. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with an action battle system, but in an RPG, it has to be a particular type of action battle system. That's why I can love the Tales series so much, even though it's action battle, is because I never feel like I am like tensed up. I never feel like I have to concentrate so hard and like get into a zone to be in combat in Tell's games. Whereas in something like Final Fantasy 15 where half of that combat system is based off quick time events and twitch reflexing, I don't think that kind of gameplay is conducive to RPGs where you want to sit back and enjoy a story.
0: Yeah. Very very true. Um Man. God, there's so many RPGs that, that's just amazing. Like, I would love to see Lunar come back.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, shine, shining Force? Yes.
0: Oh, my God. Golden Ogre, Sun? Golden Sun, Ogre Battle. Goodness. I'm. Uh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think. Uh, I I think uh, because we have already touched on the, um, because I already touched on the uh, best RPGs of 2017 there with, with Persona 5 near Automata. I think it's a, a good time to talk about a couple more gems that we got from 2017.
0: All right, go ahead. Let's go. (laughs)
1: <laughs> All right, so uh, so obviously those two are on the list, way up there. Xenoblade Chronicles Two, obviously, it's Xenoblade games always come out at a weird time, basically in December, so it's hard to get. It's hard to say are they twenty eighteen games or twenty seventeen, but you know it was up there with the best of twenty seventeen. Uh, Tales of Berseria, uh, Yakuza Zero, and Kiwami, and it's hard to say that uh, Yakuza yeah, games are JRPGs, but they kind yeah. of are in every single way except for maybe i they never feel like a jrpg but it's all there there's all the jrpg elements there um but kingdom hearts 2.8 as short as it was was really good i really liked um however long that title was what was it birth by sleep final chapter i don't know the the name of that went on forever (laughs) (laughs) um I mean, that was really good. I really enjoyed that. Um, other Like, the more niche stuff, though, like Blue Reflection, uh, Atlia Firis and Utawera Ramuno, mm. the two games in that. They were all really fantastic games. Um, and they were up there with the best. And I even put Ever Oasis on the list because I really enjoyed that. Like the 3ds is still going so strong for what is essentially a dying platform now that the Switch is out.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I guess we can touch on the 3ds later on in the podcast because I've got some thoughts on that. But yeah. um, man, um, goodness, I can't. So Twenty seventeen
1: was a was a packed year with amazing releases. Like uh, 2017 (laughs) was probably one of the best uh, years on record for JRPGs ever. I mean, and even uh, we had Horizon Zero Dawn from the West as well, which I don't think it really broke new ground in terms of Western RPGs, Um, Mm -hmm. but I think it was probably one of the best. Um, I certainly would prefer to play Horizon Zero Dawn over uh, Fallout or Skyrim or Assassin's Creed or any of those, uh, you know, uh, open-world semi-RPGs that uh, that the West pumps out now.
0: Now, would you say, and I know this is completely off-topic, but I, because I experienced this problem myself, would you say that it is hard to go back to Horizon Zero Dawn after playing Breath of the Wild?
1: Yes. And uh,
0: <laughs> more, to an,
1: <laughs> more to an extent... Um, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 as well. Because the the world in Breath of the Wild and the world in Xenoblade Chronicles 2 are vastly more interesting. Despite Horizon Zero Dawn having a really cool concept and a really interesting idea, the world is not that interesting to explore.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I I felt with Horizon Zero Dawn, and I know this is controversial to say, but I felt very restricted. Especially, I played that... Because it's so funny. It came out a week before Zelda. Yeah. It it blows my mind. And the day that Zelda came out and the Switch came out was actually my wedding last year. But it's funny how I played that and I was like, man, this is amazing. I felt like there was so much freedom to explore. And then I played Breath of the Wild and I'm like, if I see it, I can climb it.
1: Yeah, I did that in my uh, in my legend, my Breath of the Wild review, actually, which has one of the most underrated intros for a review of all time, because I put up the review so late and nobody watched it. Um, Mm -hmm. But I pointed out that um, that it really is like the thing that sets Breath of the Wild apart, why it's so highly rated is the climbing mechanic. Like, yes, people hate the climbing mechanic because you slide down when you rain or whatever, but it means that you can literally go anywhere. Horizon Zero Dawn, you can't go anywhere. If you see something in the distance, you're probably not going to be able to go there. You can't just, you know, there are invisible walls everywhere. And it's the same problem that Final Fantasy fifteen has. Yes, it's an open world, I guess, but there are invisible walls everywhere to stop you from going to places they, they haven't, you know, program properly or put collision on or whatever else. Breath of the Wild truly is a go anywhere. The same as Xenoblade Chronicles X. Xenoblade Chronicles X is up there with one of my favorite games because I think that redefined what an open world game
0: should be. Yeah, I I fully agree with you on that. And I feel like with the games that are pushing for more and more realism, the amount of strain that that puts on the, the, the consoles and the computers that are coming out, It just it makes it to a point where you're focusing so much. You've got to. There's no balance. You've got to give up something to make it look more and more realistic. And the more realistic we're pushing things to look, the less exploration, freedom, and creativity that we're actually having. And I feel like Horizon Zero Dawn is the perfect example of that. You can't climb anything unless it's obviously highlighted.
1: Yeah, (laughs) and predetermined by by the game developers that you can go there. Um, Yeah. And, and that's I think that the, this entire fascination with graphics and teraflops and all this crap that, you know, Microsoft and, and generally the West pushes is just so pointless to game development. Um, we are not at a point yet where, where uh, games look photorealistic and nor are we at a point where we are in full VR with experiences like that. And up until that point, up until the technology reaches that point, I think striving for a realistic, uh, you know, uh, being photorealistic is just pointless because there is never a point where I'm playing a game that I don't know that I'm playing a game. It doesn't make it more immersive. I People use the term immersive all the time, but I've never been playing a game and thought I'm definitely in this game because I look down and I'm holding a controller. Yeah. You know, yes. I, if I'm holding a controller, I know full well that what I'm doing is playing a game. So I find it pointless to strive for photorealistic graphics when it's it, until we get sought out online in real life and we get into pods and attach our brains to crap. It's just pointless to have photorealistic graphics. I think you should work on, don't make the graphics horrible, um, but, it, you know, highly stylized and cel-shaded and these looks all... Are generally timeless. They last a lot longer. They do the job just fine. And they allow you to be more creative.
0: I agree. Like, and I feel like that the more that we're pushing for more and more realism all the time, pushing envelope, we need to have the best looking graphics and you know, all this nonsense. The more that I feel we're pushing towards that, the less the creativity is coming. Because if you look at it games before you know, that push for super high realism, they now don't, if you were to look back two years, three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years ago, they don't look as good because, you know, evolution of technology. But if you have, I've always been someone that pushes more so for a unique and creative, diverse art style over hyperrealism. Because I feel like that's an un, it's a tangibility we can never, ever really grasp until, like you said, we're in that VR where we're sinking our brains to it. It's, yeah. it's just not – it's it's a pointless pursuit through and through.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree. And uh, you think one of the things that I like to point out with Xenoblade Chronicles X is that it came out uh, like a couple of weeks after Fallout 4 and fallout 4 was on a vastly more powerful system and it had loading screens everywhere and the world was pretty small in comparison to xenoblade chronicles x which was on the wii u and had Mm -hmm. no loading screens except for a single one when you went into, like, the barracks. But the entire world was much larger than Fallout 4s, and it was fully explorable because you could fly, for Christ's sake, with no loading screens at all. And uh, that was on the Wii U. Like, if Monolith Soft can manage to do that on one of the most underpowered consoles of all time, why the hell are we still focused so much on getting this, you know, rendering every piece of hair on somebody's head? It's pointless work on things
0: that actually matter. Indeed, man, you, you just hit the, the nail on the head there. <laughs> it's, that's so true. It's just like, I, you get into these discussions with, you know, I, I've talked with other content creators and, and a lot of people on Twitter and, and people, that I know out here in the gaming scene here in Hawaii, and a lot are just focused on graphics, graphics, graphics. Like, you take a game like, for instance, uh, Wolfenstein 2, amazing looking game, amazing gameplay, but it's only five five to seven hours long. Yep. Same as the order, the order
1: 1886. Same as that. Brilliant. It looks amazing. It's one of the most incredible looking games ever. Goes for like two hours.
0: You know, and it's like, where is the, what sets it apart artistically?
1: Yeah, the, exactly, um, <laughs> and and know that you look back at uh, games um, that have highly stylized art styles and how much better they've aged over time. You know, you mm-hmm. can go back and play Wind Waker on the GameCube right now; it looks fine. You try and play whatever, like Call of Duty Two or something that came out, also came out in the GameCube at that time, looks like absolute ass.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs>
1: because realistically, you know as good as uh, your order 1886 and horizon zero dawns and stuff looked now in 10 years time, they're going to look like crap because technology is going to have moved on, but we can look back now and look at tales of Berseria with a cell shaded, super highly uh, stylized art style. And it will still look just as good, um, you know, and, and people sort of, you don't think about that, but when final fantasy, the spirits within that movie come out, people thought at the time that that animation looked so good. It was like real life. I mean, if you go back and watch that now, it is clearly a cartoon, like, that's not even that well done. But back then it was like, wow, this is, like, real life. Like, look, he's got – you can see the his, like, you know, his uh, uh, five o'clock shadow, like, his his little beard and stuff. Like, wow. Uh, Yes, all of this stuff is impressive right now, and the realism stuff is always impressive in the right now. But a couple of years down the track, it's – not even, it's not even close to being a wow factor anymore. And in 10 years, it just looks like crap.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like if you were to take, for instance, um, like, I don't know. Have you played the monster hunter world beta?
1: I haven't. No, I'm expecting a review copy. Um, (laughs) but I, uh, I haven't, haven't did not find the time to play the beta at all.
0: As someone who enjoyed monster hunter, like the artistic style that they've gone for before the, you know, the sub-HD anime style. The more realistic look to me, and I'm like, w- what are we going for, Dragon's Dogma?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, what they're going for with Monster Hunter World is to sell big in the West, which Monster Hunter never has. That's basically what World is.
0: And it's just amazing how they've alienated Nintendo fans with that. Yeah, like-
1: because yeah, they didn't. They decided not to localize XX because, I mean, it's it's a Capcom thing. They are um, just obsessed with. I, I don't know. They're more obsessed with with selling uh, in the West right now. So um, that's why. I mean, as somebody said in chat, it's Dragon's Dogma is a good game. It is a good game. Um, I think it's better than Skyrim. Uh, but that's not saying much because I hate Skyrim. But um. Yeah they they are they've Capcom have moved to this this uh this thinking of they have to sell millions of copies of everything they do in the west and uh it's the wrong way of thinking.
0: Oh wow. It's just yeah, I don't I don't know. Like I I feel like if you really want we can do a rant on Capcom cuz I've got some things to say about them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't
1: have a whole lot to say because Uh, about Capcom because in general, you know, apart from Breath of Fire, I've never really been a huge Capcom fan. I'm not interested in Resident Evil at all, um, which would anger, like, my best friend who has every single Resident Evil game and every piece of collector's memorabilia, and he just loves that stuff. But Resident Evil just isn't for me. Capcom generally just isn't for me. Um, Having said that, even though I never really broke into the Monster Hunter you know, I never really broke in, as in got so into it, because that series is insane. I have played, uh, I think, 3 and 4. and uh, Oh, and also the the turn-based RPG that they released. What was that called? That everybody hated,
0: apparently. Which one?
1: Recently? Yeah, on the 3DS. Son uh, uh, of Generations, or...?
0: Yeah, so the Monster Hunter Generation. Who who made the um? What is it? Project Cross Zone is that them?
1: Uh no, Project X Zone is um, Bandai and Namco.
0: Oh, okay, here, here, here. Sorry, it's, it's, it's
1: just... not it's not Bandai Namco. It's like just Namco or something.
0: Oh, okay.
1: It's like because in Japan they still have like Namco have like a separate development studio that's just called Namco that sometimes self publish. But I think Project X Zone Two was um, Bandai Namco. Mm, okay. Yeah, Monster Hunter Story. Somebody said it in chat. I really enjoyed that game, <laughs> but um, it angered Monster Hunter fans. But I, I taking the Monster Hunter, what they're doing now is obviously taking the Monster Hunter as a franchise and making it more diverse. So Monster Hunter World is a big Western style open world Monster Hunter mm-hmm. um, stories. Was a turn-based niche, you know, even possibly, uh, you know, it's more of an RPG version of Monster Hunter, and Monster Hunter itself um, will hopefully continue as a series. Um, it has one of the largest uh, sort of cult followings or niche followings, especially in Japan. I would it would be weird to see that die.
0: Yeah, I my whole issue with Capcom. And I'm, I'm a Capcom fan. you know. I grew up playing old-school Mega Man, like 1 through 6, and then playing the X series and playing Breath of Fire, and playing uh, Cadillac, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, and uh, Violet Commando. And it's just, I grew up in the renaissance era of Capcom. And then I'm looking at them now, and I'm like, okay, how many times are you going to port Resident Evil 4? How many times yeah. are you going to re-release five and six and uh you know, the revelation series. Okay, cool. It's, it's definitely a step in the right direction for resident evil. If you're a huge fan of it, I'm not a huge fan of resident evil. I enjoy the games. I played them all. I'm not a fan. It's just, you know, when I don't have anything else to play, I'll go ahead and play it. I feel like the stories of resident evil, are very convoluted. And, um, you know, looking at games that they've come out with in the past, I'm like, why are we not bringing back Bionic Commando? And then I stop and think, they did bring out Bionic Commando. They brought it back in 2009, and it flopped horribly. I love it, which is funny. A game that is so universally panned is one of, in my opinion, one of my top favorite games of all time. I loved that freedom of free-falling and swinging. I feel like it, it took the the Spider-Man aspect of just swinging around to a whole nother level, but everyone hated that game. And it's probably why we haven't seen Spencer in another game aside from Marvel versus Capcom three and infinite. But, you know, I'm looking at games that they have, that they could bring back, that they could do something with Like breath of fire could do really well. If they, we just forgot the dragon quarter ever existed and we went off of four, you know, we brought that style of, you know, angled perspective and just spruced up the artistic style of the graphics, I think it would do well because the system of Breath of Fire is really, really good. You know, just there's so much that Capcom could bring back. Power Stone even, which I feel like Power Stone, which came out before uh, Smash Brothers was a great party game, a great party beat-em-up or party fighter. And they just they just sit on greatness and do nothing with it because they want to make safe moves. And it's like, yeah, exactly. They
1: they're totally done. Try they're totally done. Like not being super safe. Uh, They have been for years. You know, like when they were making the those Resident Evil entries that weren't even horror anymore. They're basically just first person or just shooters like Call of Duty, but with zombies. It was because that was what they saw at the market at the time. They're like, oh, what's selling big? Oh, it's Call of Duty. So Resident Evil has to be Call of Duty now. And then when they saw that there was this real desire for actual horror games, again, they made Resident Evil 7. And it's the same with uh, Monster Hunter. You know, Monster Hunter has never sold that well in the West. And so they're like, well, okay, let's make uh, everybody's playing open world games. Now let's make an open world Monster Hunter and we'll, you know, we'll change the art style and, and, uh, Monster Hunter Stories was a weird move to make, but I think in their heads, they were thinking, well, Pokemon's really popular and Yokai Watch, you know, came out of nothing and essentially became a new Pokemon in Japan. Let's do that with Monster Hunter story Like let's do that with Monster Hunter. They thought that was a safe move, even though, you know, people hated
0: it. I mean, yeah, you're right. And if you look at Resident Evil seven, we clearly know what they they based that off of. That was purely inspired by PT to the core. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. People saw it like that. That's the thing. I think Capcom only does what they deem super safe now. Like they saw that PT and uh, the crazy Fury that they saw this rise in indie horror games and how popular they were. And, uh, and they were like, okay, well, we need to make a proper horror Resident Evil again.
0: So it's just I mean, even look at like Mega Man eleven. They purely made that because Mighty Number no. Nine, which had a lot of hype going into it, a lot of backers, and it flopped. They're like, yeah. Oh, this is easy money. Yeah, easy money,
1: because <laughs> now we can give them what they really want. Exactly. That's uh it's but yeah, it's it's only ever when they yeah. And they're just super safe now. It's basically the opposite of what we talked about way back at the start of this podcast where, you know, Japanese developers generally take risks and just do what they want. Capcom is basically the the EA of Japan.
0: Yeah. And and this is I know this is what this was not a topic that we had uh previously discussed or we said at the beginning of the podcast, but I'm I'm curious to get your input on do you think that with the shift in the consoles from sub-HD to standard HD to now we're in 1080 to 4K or 1440, and we might even go to 5K and 8K at some point within the next 20 years. Do you think that the, the focus on making more powerful hardware and making more realistic games and bigger worlds, do you feel like that has, in a way harmed Japanese developers, or they're just not sure what to do in, you know, comparison to like a American publisher, like Bethesda. Oh, well, not American publisher, like Bethesda, but in that sense, you know, of a Western developer.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I the problem is that the West is so obsessed with graphics. Um, so when Japanese developers do set out to make a game that they know is going to be localized or, so, you know, they want to localize, it must weigh on their heads, um, you know, uh, that it needs to have decent graphics because it's basically all the West cares about. I mean, I can't believe that even though the Xbox One X isn't doing, you know, amazingly well, but the fact that it is doing as well as it is surprises me because it's it, – I, I don't understand – how going from 1080p 30 to 60 FPS to 4K to checkerboarded 4K 30 FPS is an amazing leap. It's just not like graphics are so not important um, that it's so strange that the West is so obsessed with it. But until people stop being so obsessed with it, it's sort of never going to change. And it definitely does. Uh, It harms what games get localized over here, at the very least. I think Japan does its own thing, and they're happy to do that. But, um, you know, compared to the amount of games that do come out over there, the ones that get localized is a fraction, a tiny fraction. There are still uh, entire JRPG series that have, you know, as, as long as long a release list and as long a heritage as um as you know like shin megami tensei and and all that that have never seen the light of day outside of japan
0: true and i feel like a lot of people if you were to talk shin megami tensei a lot of people have no idea what that is and they wouldn't even and know that the Persona. Yeah.
1: yeah they don't even realize that it's shin megami tensei persona <laughs> yeah <laughs> persona is basically a Shimigami
0: Tensei game, but it's just a different Shimigami Tensei game. Yeah, and it's been running, I believe the series has been running as long as Final Fantasy, if I'm correct.
1: Yeah, pretty close to. Um, I don't know exactly when that started, but yeah, it's, it's pretty damn close.
0: Yeah, and it's like you know, think of another Japanese series. Um mm. Sorry, the bus that went by. I've soundproofed, I've soundproofed my room and it's this traffic is... Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I love where I live. My condo is amazing, but it's on one of the busiest streets and no matter what I do, I still hear the traffic. Anyway, <laughs> um, you look at a, a series like Ease from Falcom. That series, yep. which... I'm shocked to hear a lot of people are surprised with ease. 8. They're like, oh, you know, the most common thing I'm hearing is it looks like Monster Hunter and Xenoblade Chronicles 2. And I'm like, you know that that series predates both. And yeah. if we're going to get technical, it's almost or it is the same age as Zelda. I think it came out a year after Zelda.
1: Yeah, pretty yeah. close to uh, yeah, it.
0: Yeah, it's a very long running series. And people have no idea. They're like, oh, well, you know, I've heard people say when they saw the reveal for the Switch, they're like, oh, this is the first time I ever heard of it. I'm like, Ease 8 came out last year in September. Yeah. They're like, what? No, it didn't. I'm like, yeah, it did. I got a review copy two, two weeks, no, actually a month before it came out. I'm like, it's it's not new at all. <laughs> and yeah. then um, when you, when I when I talk to people, a lot of people have voiced on podcasts, on streams, on videos, on YouTube, and even on Twitter saying that Ease eight looks like a three DS game that's upscaled to seven twenty.
1: Right. I I don't agree with that, but I mean a lot of the <laughs> uh a lot of the uh East entries have been Vita titles. Yeah, um, more recent times. So I, I get that feeling. Um, but it, it doesn't look bad. No. I don't think I there's mean, anything wrong with that. With uh, even, you know, upscaling a PS Vita or a three DS game, I don't think that's a bad thing at all.
0: And it's just it's amazing. Like when they're looking at the gameplay, like I've heard people say, Oh, it looks like it plays like Xenoblade Chronicles and Monster Hunter, and I'm like, uh you No.
1: Know. No, those two <laughs> games play like
0: <laughs> East. <Yeah. laughs> we're like, yeah, it's like, oh, it's turn based, and like ease has never been turn based. Uh, if you were, it's to a problem
1: produce- that uh, it's a problem that Falcom faces, though, because they don't spend anything on marketing, like nothing. Exactly. You you say you say to people like Legend of Heroes, nobody knows what the hell that is. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> they are some of the you know Trails of Cold Steel, Trails in the Sky. These are some of the the largest and longest and most well written RPGs ever. Um, and um, vast majority of people have never heard of them.
0: Yeah, that's that's so true. And it's 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 sad because there's greatness there that people are just not experiencing. You know, it's it's oh man, that's now you're making me sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I
1: Fal- Falcom is um. They're such a small team. They get such small budgets and uh, they don't, they pretty much, they just don't spend anything on marketing. There's just no marketing at all. Their games just come out. Like uh, you, you sort of, they just come out. You don't even know about them. Um, you know, Tokyo Xanadu, almost nobody has heard of that. They came out in December. Um, uh, on PC, anyway. I think it came out earlier in like maybe August or something like that. But these games I'm just PC. come out and they're, they're fantastic games. All of them they make, like, it's their Legend of Heroes series is such a good series and it's so well written. It really is some of the best um, written, uh, best video game writing ever and some of the best character development in a game ever. And really, just nobody really seems to know about Falcom. Nobody seems to know about Legend of heroes, um, and it's a shame because it just it reinforces this idea, especially in the West, that um, you know you can you can sell a game as long as you pump you know hundreds of millions of dollars into marketing.
0: And the and speaking of Xanadu, that series predates Zelda. <laughs> it, it See, came I out- didn't even know.
1: Because yeah. uh Xanadu has been on my list for a while to to pick up and play, but I just haven't got around to it yet.
0: Yeah, the first game actually came out in uh October 27th of 1985. And that's insane. You know, like a lot of people they're like Xanadu, oh that's that's something new. No. <laughs> you think with the amount of games that people really don't know about, you would think this is the nineties the again. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, this has been a great conversation. I, I don't even know where where, where, I think where <laughs> well, we are. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we can we can go to uh, what we're looking forward to this year because that's right. a long list.
0: All right. So, what are some of the, the top uh, games you're looking forward to this year?
1: And this this is a I, there are. So, I'll just quickly mention the games that we don't know if will come out in 2018 yet because there's no real solid release dates. Uh, like Dragon Quest XI, um, I'm really looking forward to that getting localized. Octopath Traveler, obviously. Persona Q2 on the 3DS. Valkyria Chronicles 4. Um, Kingdom Hearts 3, even though I'm pretty sure, didn't he say it was coming out in 2018? I still don't believe that. I'll believe it when it's a week out and they haven't delayed it yet.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um, but ones we do have a solid releases for, uh, Digimon Story, Cyber Sleuth, Hackers Memory, just came out yesterday or the day before. Mm-hmm. Lost Fear is out in a couple of days. Monster Hunter World, I'm looking forward to getting into that and giving it a try. Um, the new Sword Art, Sword Art Online game, um, Fatal Bullet Ballet, something like that. That looks really, really good. And then uh, the 3DS is going to have a good year with Radiant Historia and Shin Megami Tensei Strange Journey.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree.
1: Yeah, Yakuza 6 as well. I'm super looking forward to that. I I really like the Yakuza series, and um, I only got into it with uh, Zero last year, and now I just can't get enough of it. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, Yeah, I said Octopath Traveler, didn't I, Liquid Metal? But uh, I don't think it's confirmed for this year yet.
0: I think that's going to be one of the best RPGs that's come out of Square in a long time. Yeah, I think um, so. Your list is very long. I'm yeah, I know it's not sure. even long. It's, <laughs> I still got more. The secret of Mana,
1: there, the remake. There's Nina Kuni 2, and there's Atelier Lied and Sawyer. Oh, oh, yeah. that's my full list. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I mean, I, I, I as the, and that's my list for RPGs. I mean, if we want to go into City NT, Dragon Ball Fighter Z, Bayonetta, One and Two and Three. I don't know if Three's coming out this year, though. Dynasty Warriors Nine, Seven Deadly Sins, Shadow of the Colossus. <laughs> I could go on for days.
0: Oh man, uh, Detroit Become Human.
1: Actually, in the thing, I had. I was really not interested in that at all because I find David Cage games like non-interactive and basically just pointless, like watching a movie. But I actually got to play Detroit 2 Human at a preview event and I'm actually looking forward to that now.
0: Uh, See, if I were to talk about RPGs, I feel like I would be... um, Compared to your list, mine is very shallow. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it's uh, there are a lot of
1: um, there are a lot of JRPGs coming out this year that haven't really been marketed at all yet. Like the marketing machine hasn't started up for them, so it's really hard to know about them. All
0: right, and I think for me, like reason, one of the main reasons my my list of RPGs is so short is um, I've said it before in videos and podcasts previously. You know, I'm a, a systems analyst for one of the biggest hospital chains in Hawaii, and because I'm always on call and I'm always like working 12 to 15 hour days. I have so little time for games that are massive time sinks, unless it's something that just captures me. Like for instance, uh, the way Xenoblade Chronicles did. And I just, that was all I played for like a month. But um, games that I know I need to, that I'm looking forward to lost fear is definitely one of them. Um, Battle Chasers, I'm looking forward to that. The Secret of Mana, uh, actually, Battle Chasers already came out, but I'm looking forward to the Switch port. Um, yeah, just because the portability factor of the Nintendo Switch is just for me, it does everything I I need it to. Like, I, if I'm I'm always on the go, so it makes sense for me to play it on there. Um, the Secret of Mana HD, I'm definitely looking forward to that. And you just remind, I completely forgot about that because um, I have a pre ordered Uh, Because I don't know why I didn't think to reach out to Square for a copy of that, but
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, Um, that that remake has come a long way. I have a a big Q and A up on my on my channel because um, they showed off some early stuff and they let press in uh, uh, August September, maybe somewhere around there, and it was a super early version of the game and it was pretty bad. It was really bad actually um I don't know if anybody would come out of that happy with with what it looked what, what it looked like what it played like just the game in general um, but they turned that around in like a month and a half because um, I I had the chance to play the latest build as of November um, and it uh, has come a huge way it's it's uh, it's looking really good I think I think uh, it's gonna surprise a lot of people.
0: I'm definitely – and, you know, one of the things I'm kind of wondering why they didn't bring that to the Switch because I feel like it would sell more on the Switch than it would on the Vita.
1: Agreed. I don't – I asked. I tried to ask um, Square Europe, and mm-hmm. um, they didn't say anything. <laughs> They're like, no comment. I mean, probably, <laughs> probably because, I mean, it's still – the Switch stuff – we're not going to see, you know, um, these PlayStation 4, Vita, Switch releases like we should be seeing. We're not going to see that until 2019 as a standard. It's not going to be a standard until then because a lot of these games were, you know, started development before the Switch even existed. Mm. Um, So I don't think that it's not going to be like PS4 and Switch. That's not going to be the norm until like 2019 at the earliest. We're starting to see it now but they're also mostly in games that are just being announced like just now. Um, yeah. So I it's, it is I think it's just comes down to that. The Secret of Mana remake has been in development for longer than the Switch has existed. So that's probably why it isn't coming to the Switch. I don't I don't see any reason why it won't be ported afterwards maybe. Mhm. Uh, Square is big on the Switch, so I think it'll probably make its way over um if it sells decently,
0: hmm. okay. So, yeah, I can definitely see that coming eventually. Um, yeah, where is that? So, Secret of Mana. Yes, uh, I'm looking forward to whatever this Tales game that they're working on. So I know yeah. there's another Tales. Of. I
1: I wrote a um, I've got a script coming out. That's actually in my next video. Um, mm-hmm. it's uh, I I don't I won't uh I won't spoil my own video. Um, but it's the, it's an interesting situation at the moment. Um, the mm-hmm. Tale Studio um with Hideo Baba leaving new director shuffled around. Uh, there are shuffled development teams. Um it's possibly not uh, the the series is uh I don't know how to say this. <laughs> it's uh it might not be what people are expecting the Switch game I don't think is going to be a port and I don't think it's going to be a main series title. I think the Switch game will come out this year and I think it'll be like Hearts R or Innocence, you know, one of the, uh, Vita handheld titles. Mm. That's, uh, that's my feelings. Um, the main series, uh, Uh, I think will be PS4 PC for now. And I think that won't be out for quite some time. The new director said that Basaria was the last game to have the PS3 in mind. Um, So they won't be doing a PS3 version anymore. And he would like to fully embrace the new technology. So I totally see uh, the main series being built from the ground up again. Um, and, you know, taking a while, you know, new graphics engine still be that, you know, anime-ish stylized look. I don't think they'll ever turn away from that, but, you know, it'll be a, a vastly improved engine on the engine they've been using for the last seven or eight years.
0: Yeah, definitely. I can I can definitely see that because um, it's, I mean, if you look at the way that the Tales series has been going for the last, I want to say, decade, it has been p- pushed Way more heavily on, and almost exclusively on PlayStation as a brand. Um, yeah, with the exception of Vesperia in the West, you know now. I think and
1: Graces came out. See, uh, uh, Bandai Namco have this have do have a habit of releasing a new Tales game on a new nintendo console they did it with symphonia on the gamecube that came to the gamecube first they did it with graces on the wii that went to the wii first um wii u is really the only console they skipped um because the series started as tales of fantasia on the super nintendo as well so uh, they do have a habit of making their first they, they have a habit of making a tales game for the new nintendo platform no matter what it is
0: yeah and I would love for them to go ahead and localize some of the games that never came out in the West, in the West, and there's a lot of them in the Tales series that are. I've played the Japanese variations. The only barrier for me was the language, and they played amazing. And it's yeah, just,
1: you know, yeah. There's a there's a really cool, there's a full um, fan translation for Tales of Innocence, which is um, it's a really cool game. Um, it's th- these these are handheld basically there's sort of like they're not the main series they're like the handheld series you know like hearts are and and since that there's a whole series of games there um and really the only one that's been localized was hearts are and that was after fans really really asked for it and it sold like crap which is a shame um and uh and it the good thing about the switch being a handheld though. And if that type of series continues on the switch is that Nintendo is heavily involved with all that stuff. And, uh, it's more than likely we will see those titles localized from now on, you know, rather than them coming out on the Vita and Sony not giving two shits about that console.
0: Very, very true.
1: Um, I, what I'm really looking forward to though, is seeing what, more of a project prelude Rune, which is the series that Hideo Barber is working on at Square. I really want to, We're we're in a time now where we're essentially going to get two Tales series at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. Hideo Barber was listed as a producer on the Tales series, but he basically was the face of the Tales series. Um, he was mm-hmm. the most heavily involved with the series uh, and with the fans and so I'm really, really excited to see what he comes up with at Square, where he probably has like an unlimited budget and and resources. Um, whereas Ben Dinanko give the Tales uh, studio relatively little budget and resources. So it will be interesting to see the two series uh coexist. I'm I'm actually quite excited to see them.
0: Oh man, I that's whew. I'm gonna keep my my ear to the ground. And I'm gonna keep watching your channel to just make sure I stay informed on that because that's I'm looking forward. Yeah, well, that's still.
1: And since that announcement, we haven't seen a sing. We haven't heard or seen a single thing from Prelude Rune. We've got like three screenshots, concept screenshots, uh, concept art, or something. I think that's it. <laughs> but he took uh, Hideo when uh, when they announced that Hideo took a jab at Tales of Berseria because you know everyone was like, oh. It was, oh, it's so dark, which I still don't agree with, but they're like, oh, it's such a dark game, like it's a new thing for tales. And here Baba was like, we're gonna focus on the wholesome and like nice things. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously he wants to make traditional tales, and I think Tails will begin transitioning or begin, you know, just um, I don't know, changing a little. Obviously, new director a large chunk of the development team shuffled around, it's going to be different, but it's still going to be tails.
0: Yeah, man, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Uh I guess since we really only have one topic and then the open forum, unless you have anything else in mind. Uh I think your- I yeah, <laughs> that
1: that my list of twenty eighteen is just huge. But um I think I covered all that.
0: <laughs> I think I need to go back to the drawing board on mine and just really look at what's coming out because I'm still reeling from twenty seven, twenty seventeen. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, it was going to be hard to top twenty seventeen, but twenty eighteen is making a a good
0: start. Very, very true. I'm hoping for another Star Ocean game. I would love yep. to see another one. I, I Square is crazy
1: enough to take that risk after the yep. last one. Um and they just re-release
0: one too. They re-release 4.
1: Yeah. So I I I totally see there being another one. Um I don't necessarily know whether Square will let that studio just do it by themselves. Mm-hmm. Square might be a little bit more involved. But that's probably just going to be a good thing. So
0: we'll see. All right. So final topic. Your favorite game or games of all time. And why?
1: Final Fantasy IX, Tales of Exilia, Slash Symphonia, and Xenoblade Chronicles X. All for uh, Xenoblade Chronicles X is on there because I think it's the best open-world game ever made, and it's what an open-world game should be. So that's why it's one of my favorite games of all time, because it's my favorite open-world game of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, Final Fantasy IX, because I think that... Uh, I. I it's just such a good game. It's timeless. I think the story is fantastic. I think the characters there, the the way that the story is told, too, you know, like where you're looking at it from different characters' perspectives all the time and you know the teams split up and I think that kind of storytelling is is just it it kicked off that kind of uh of storytelling. So I really appreciate Final Fantasy Nine for everything it does. I think it's the best Final Fantasy. Uh, I love the battle system. I love the characters and Tales of Exilia and Symphonia. I just love the Tales series. I love the I love the stories they tell. I loved Exilia. I love Symphonia for the story, the characters. I think uh, Tales is hugely underappreciated for, um for story in terms of JRPGs. People look elsewhere, but I think Tales is up there with some of the best JRPG stories ever done.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Um, I feel like a lot of people kind of write it off as uh, a
1: like oh it's an anime kid game,
0: and yeah, and then they'll be like oh it's too cliche and blah 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 and like
1: the the funny thing you know when there was when a lot of the mainstream was like wow Berseria you know Tales is so dark now like with Berseria like guys have you ever played Symphonia it deals with like <laughs> like literally human ranches and slavery and human sacrifice, uh, yeah. uh, you know, and it's, that deals all the entire tale series constantly deals with incredibly heavy themes. I don't think area was that much of a, of a tangent from, from anything we've
0: seen before. You no, know, I agree. I, I, I definitely agree. Oh, my top games. Oh, goodness. Ah, uh, okay. Final Fantasy VII, Kudelka slash Shadow Heart series, Xenogears, um, Xenoblade Chronicles, one and two. Um, what else do I have?
1: It's a good looking list.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, what else do I have? Uh, let's see, you've already mentioned the Tales games that I would put in my top list. I'm not going to repeat those. Uh, What else is there? I have the Suikoden 2. Well, 1 and 2, because I like the aspects of those games. And what else is there? Um, Valkyria Chronicles, because I think that's a really great take on tactical squad-based RPGs. So, um, the reason I picked Final Fantasy VII, even though it's not my favorite of all time, but it is my first Final Fantasy uh, as a kid, because the, my one of my main reasons for liking it is, as a kid, I didn't like reading. And um, my mom, who is funny, my mom's a gamer too, and she's 66, which is interesting. But her thing was, how do I get him to read? And so she got me.
1: <laughs> That's an amazing idea.
0: I know, right? So she got me into Final Fantasy VII. I got so hooked on the story, even though I look back on it now and I'm like, there's a lot of plot holes. But she got me into that. So I started playing Final Fantasy VII and I went from seven VII to eight, went back to six. We, At some point, I was able to play five. I played four. I played, you know, the earlier ones and then I went towards playing other games like Fancy Star and then onwards to Lunar and uh Shining Shining Force and it's just I love reading and so it really Final Fantasy 7 was the first game to instill that passion of reading in me so it's always going to be in my top um
1: yeah I think I think Final Fantasy 7 has some of the best characters from the series as a whole, you know, like uh, uh, the best design characters, at least you know, like Sephiroth, Vincent, um, uh, even like just uh, Reno and rude, like mm-hmm. from the Turks, you know, these are, these are all like well-designed characters. I, that's one thing I do really love about final fantasy seven is that I could, you know, go ahead and get tattoos from final fantasy VII. <laughs> for the rest of time like there's just so many cool sephiroth designs or vincent designs and and stuff that i would be happy to do and even from the extended universe stuff um advent children like kadaj i have like kadaj's double katana replica um just because it they're, they're such well designed characters It's uh it's a really cool series for that for characters
0: definitely i i really agree with you it was and it, it really instilled in me creativity of uh, I got into actually writing, uh, you know, like short. When I was a kid, I liked to write stories and stuff like novels after reading that, like playing that, experiencing that game. It it, it really instilled a passion in me. So that's always going to be one of my tops. Uh, the Kodelka Shadow Hearts series, because it came out. In a time where we were tradition, we were transitioning away from JRPGs, and I believe the first one, Kudelka, actually came out on the original PlayStation, I believe in ninety nine or two thousand, and then that was the predecessor to the Shadow Hearts series. And I really thought that that was a great series, combat wise, story, uh, artistically as well. Although I believe the last one, A New World or A New Covenant, was a drastic you know, shift away from the tone, the darker tone of the other games. I just really, it it left an impression on me. I was like, wow, this is really unique story, gameplay, you know, aesthetics. So yeah, that's, I would love to see that series come back. Um, As far as uh, Suikoden one and two, preferably two, I feel like two is the pinnacle of the series. Um, I I think that's the
1: general consensus too. (laughs)
0: Yeah, like, I, I loved the narrative of two friends ended up on two sides of warring factions and how events can shape, like, one single event can shape two different individuals in drastically different ways. I loved the narrative of that, you know, and it was something that has not often, in my opinion, been replicated enough, so... That was um, that was definitely something that you know that 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 left an impression on me. I I, I feel like I need to go back and do a let's play of that. Um, what was the other game I named? Damn, I forgot already. <laughs> <laughs> um
1: uh a Zeno- was a saga, Gears. one of the two.
0: Zeno Gears. Okay, so Xenogears Gears is funny because I played that at the I played that. That was the last game I played before uh, Xenoblade Chronicles X. I played Saga. I played the Saga trilogy. I played uh, Xenoblade Chronicles One. I played, and then I ended up going back and playing Gears because everyone's like, "Oh, it's still the it's the best one." I played that back in 2015, and I'll say this: it really started off incredibly slow. I had to force myself to play through it because it was. Very, very slow, but when it picked up, oh my God, it picked up. And the fact that it went into, you know, Jungian psychology and, you know, Marxism, the basically like using terms and, and, and in a way, you could think of it as a space opera sequel to the Bible, the same thing with Zillow Saga. It's it just the philosophical, the religious undertones the psychological aspects of, you know, disassociative disorder, like that game from 1998, I have, I still have not to this day played a game that has touched me and impacted me in such a way as Gears. I'm passionate about that. And I, it it truly showed me that um, Tetsuya Takahashi is a brilliant writer. Brilliant writer, him and his wife, uh, Surya Saga, and man, <laughs>
1: yeah. Takahashi is uh, one of the most underrated. I think just because, because you know, Nintendo obviously saw something and said, "Hey, we're just gonna we're gonna buy you." Uh, basically, you know, like uh, I, it's, he's underrated for that um, because I don't know. People don't look not anymore anyway. People don't look f- at Nintendo for for that kind of game anymore. You know, Nintendo is more about the for everyone. Um, and so people don't look to Nintendo platforms for incredibly niche titles anymore. And uh, it's a shame because uh, Xenoblade... Uh, the Zeno in general is one of the best RPG series of all time. And it is uh, essentially an alternate universe Final Fantasy because Takahashi left Square uh, after he saw that you know, they were going to focus on the Final Fantasy series rather than the Xeno series. And so he's like, well, I want to keep making Xeno. I don't want to make Final Fantasy. And uh, and I believe that uh, one of the Xeno games was pitched as Final Fantasy Seven. Gears. Um, yeah, yeah. Gears. Where, was it Zeno Gears 1 or 2, though? Uh,
0: I can't remember. Just one Because Xeno Gears, they only made Xenogears Gears, and then they cut funding on Disc 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: yeah, so yeah, that was like pitched to be Final Fantasy Seven. So in an alternate universe, he pitched that and Square was like, Yep, that's gonna be Final Fantasy Seven, and that would have been the Final Fantasy series. So uh it is uh, hugely underrated, I think.
0: Yeah. And I think it they that caused a massive fallout um with uh within Square, because I think a lot of their their writers and creators left with him to form monolith off. And then I think yeah. the same thing happened with when he went to, when they went to Bandai Namco when they were making the Zeno Saga, because Zeno Saga was supposed to be a trilogy, as was Zeno Gears. Um, but I feel like with Zeno Saga 2, uh, which actually it is true, like with Zeno Saga 2, it did so horribly and Tetsuya Takahashi was not the helm, neither was Sorya Saga, his wife, and so it did so horribly that it killed the, the the six part epic and made it a trilogy, which they rushed with three to wrap everything up. They threw in hints of how this is the prequel to Zeno Gears, even though legally they can't say it, but there's a lot of hints in in uh, three, and that's yeah. why I was saying if he plays in Blade Chronicles two. At that end, when you're looking at the, you know, at the that planet. I'm just gonna say the planet, and you yeah. look at the ending of Xenogears, Gears or Xenosaga Saga Three. In a way, they could be happening at the same time. Yep. Yeah, it's <laughs> I, it's
1: exactly right, and 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 yeah, uh, it's. I mean, we really should be super thankful for Nintendo that that they said, hey. Let's let's buy Monolith soft Let's and let you do whatever you want because it's essentially what Nintendo does. They say do whatever the hell you want, make your game, we don't care. And um, and it's the same with uh, Bayonetta. You know, there's always that. Oh, why is why wasn't Bayonetta two on PlayStation three or why wasn't Bayonetta three? Like guys, there wouldn't be a Bayonetta two or three without Nintendo. That's why it's on a Nintendo console and not on your ones because. The platinum went to sega they went to sony they went to microsoft and all of these companies said no we don't want that bye see you later we're not going to pay for that we're not going to help you and nintendo does this for yeah and it's the same thing like without nintendo we wouldn't have a xenoblade um it would have ended basically it would have most likely ended with uh uh xenosaga yeah and uh, it's uh, it's it's something that I'm hugely thankful for Nintendo, um, which is why, uh, yeah, why I'll never shit on Nintendo as much as I shit on Microsoft, <laughs> even it's, though Nintendo yeah. makes some <laughs> awful decisions and, and awful moves. But you know, it's it's hard to uh, to crap on them.
0: It's that's the thing. Like you know, is my last game. I'm gonna say uh, it's that really impacted me is one of my favorite of all time. Being Xenoblade Chronicles one and two because when I play Xenoblade Chronicles for the, I feel like for the first time in a video game with spoken dialogue, the characters were so well written. They were, and I'm one of the people that didn't mind the the voice acting in Xenoblade Chronicles. I'm, I'm shocked to find there's a lot of people that hate it. Xenoblade Chronicles one
1: and even two. It, the, the problem is that um especially for jrpgs like uh it's a lot of uh, nis america and uh axes and stuff like that they do the localizations generally for most jrpgs and mm-hmm. they're all u.s based so majority of the voice actors are u.s accents mm-hmm. and it's super strange to have just played like 20 JRPGs in a row where pretty much everybody has an American accent to then switch to all being these crazy European accents because it was localized by Nintendo EU. Uh yeah yeah Nintendo EU I think Treehouse. Yeah. So it is it's super uh, like even I have an issue with some of the voices in Zelda: Chronicles 2 and I don't think it's because they're bad voice actors. I think it's just because I can't wrap my head around that accent being for that character.
0: No, and I, I can understand that um I um, it, it, this like for me it was you know it was such a, a, a shift I don't think I've ever played anything that had voice acting of the, of that style aside from like Bosch and Final Fantasy 12. Yeah, um,
1: pretty much. That's why it's why it's so off-putting for some people because European accents are just not really heard of in games in general, but especially not in JRPGs.
0: Yeah. And it's like the the way that the characters interacted with each other, you didn't have an angsty main character, you know, it was so different. Everyone, you felt the emotion of like, say if he plays on Wicker Chronicles 1, the beginning where that whole event happened at Colony 9 with or calling nine calling six i think it's calling nine i want to say with uh yeah i think F- i'm pretty sure it's nine <laughs> yeah like with um with uh fiora like that whole thing that happened with metal face and fiora i was i felt the emotion and the desperation of shulk dunban and uh ride i was yeah. there and i felt like every scene and every transition i was like man I feel these characters feel so real that I'm emotionally invested in what happens with them, and that was the same feeling that I had. I didn't have that in Xenoblade Chronicles Two, in Xenoblade Chronicles X, but I did in Xenoblade Chronicles Two. Even though some areas I felt were really bad, especially like when you were fighting in Gormati, when you had to go up against uh, the guys who kept saying, "Oh, think you can take me? Don't <laughs> they, forget they took that." They, they just
1: fixed that in the latest patch, yeah. And people are sort of upset that they even fixed it because it just became a meme at that stage. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, so, man.
1: yes, but it's totally fixed, so they don't do that anymore. I, I mean, it was always a bug. I don't know why people were, you know, like, before it came out, people saw a clip of it, and they were like, oh, this is, like, the worst game ever. Oh, we're going to have to turn all the audio off. It's like, guys, it's one enemy. It's just one enemy, and it's clearly a bug. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, in Xenoblade Chronicles Two. I um, I died inside at uh, the end with Poppy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I like I won't ruin anything, but like you know when Rex is like asking oh, her, man. and Dude, I and teased. I was I was dying. <laughs> and so I was like, oh my god! <laughs> I've never cried at a video game. I like I just don't cry often. Um, but I was so close. That was the closest
0: I've ever come to actually weeping like a baby. Dude, like when I got to that point, because my wife and I were playing it at the same time. She's actually still playing it. I think she's on chapter six, but she would watch me just because I would play it so much more. She would watch the cutscenes with me. That scene with Poppy, when I say we both were in tears.
1: Yeah, geez. I was like, this is heartbreaking. <laughs> like, it's
0: crazy, and like it's a robot thing. Like it's you know, like we sh- I shouldn't
1: feel emotions about this. But you just do, because it is so well-written.
0: Takahashi is brilliant. He is. Man. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's that's just about it for me. I know some people in the comment section have brought up uh, – Shinobu's brought up uh, a couple rare RPGs, like Rhapsody, a musical adventure – he brought up Wild Arms and Grandia. Those are excellent games. I, I, I'm not trying to discredit them in any way. I love Grandia. I've played one, two, and three. Three yeah, was yeah. I recommend favorite.
1: Grandia in a in a video at one stage. Yeah,
0: but I'm um, uh, uh, yeah, going back. It. Like I was super
1: young um, when the PlayStation One was like the big thing. Like uh, is and. You know, I didn't even have a PlayStation 1 for a majority of its life cycle because I was so young. So it's, it's, it is hard for me to know about super niche RPGs, especially from the PS1 era, but I always try. Like I'm always searching for things to go back and play. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a couple I had to check out.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, it, especially if anything, I would say play. Grandia 2, I love that game. And if you get to... like The main character is an asshole for the bulk of the game. You don't understand why. Then they have the big reveal as to why he's the way he is. Then there's a very, very, very heartbreaking moment that almost brought me to tears. And it's just... Grandia 2 is one of the greatest RPGs I've ever played. Uh, I highly recommend that. Grandia 1 is amazing. Grandia 3... and, um, yeah, about that. Uh, Wild Arms is a great series, too. I liked the first one. I did not like the second one.
1: Wild well, Arms has been on my list for so very, very long. It's there. It's just I have to get around to playing it sometime. <laughs> but it's like, as you've already seen my list for 2018, it's like, where do I even fit in old games? Like, where do I even fit in my backlog?
0: Definitely. I, I think, you know, I would actually love to have you on another podcast. and I think we should invite... um uh, Pelvic gaming because she has a I, I like her channel.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Pelvic is uh, so good. Um, yeah. She has uh, such good opinions. I mean, she rips on me all the time for uh, liking Xenoblade Chronicles X, mm-hmm. um, but
0: it's I don't know.
1: <laughs> it's because <laughs> both both uh, her and
0: Shintai. Do you know Shintai? Yeah, Shintai. I'm, I'm a big fan of his too.
1: Yeah, both because they both obviously played Xenoblade Chronicles one and then we're expecting that same like really story and character heavy focus in Xenoblade Chronicles X and it obviously did not meet their expectations. I think it taints the view of what Xenoblade Chronicles X is for a lot of people because it's yeah. not Xenoblade Chronicles. Um, it, it, I, maybe they should have dropped the Chronicles part and, you know, give it a second name or something, but it's, it is, Takahashi did say that it's the game that he always wanted to make um, back on the PlayStation 1 yeah, and PlayStation 2, that sort of the earlier eras. It's the game he always wanted to make, you know, with mechs and a giant world that you could explore. And, and uh, so it, it, there's labor of love. And I think when you look at it from an open world games perspective, it's an incredible, incredible game.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the things, too. I noticed, like, when I watch both their reviews, and I agree, it does kind of taint for a lot of people who probably never even touched it or were thinking about it, because to understand Xenoblade Chronicles X, you would have to have played Gears. Xenoblade Chronicles X is the closest to Zeno gears out of any of the Xeno games, even Zeno saga because if you look at the fact that gears was pretty much at a point you could travel anywhere in the world it was a very heavy focus on mechs exploration and you know what is actually going on in the world and the realization like I'm not trying to really spoil it for anybody but at this point Xenoblade or Xenogears has been out for what over 20 years
1: (laughs) yeah it's so I mean I I get annoyed when people yell at me for spoilers for Xenoblade Chronicles 2 like when I accidentally show a character in a Video or something? Like, well, how do you expect me to make content for this? It's been out for like a, a month and a
0: half. <laughs> but like, if you play Zeno Gears, it really like the themes between Zeno Gears and Xenoblade Chronicles Krunk- X. They're so similar because the realization one, you're not really human. Yeah, you <laughs> know. And- and
1: I'm to- like, I-, I can totally see, like, I'm not saying that Xenoblade Chronicles X is a flawless game or even one of the best games ever made or anything like that, um, because it definitely has uh, story shortfalls. And, um, yeah. and yeah. I-, I play JRPGs mainly for story, so I can totally understand people's disappointment. But as far as like open world games go, it's, it's the best open world game ever made in-, in my opinion.
0: No, I fully agree with you. But it, it really does, like, it, it calls back, like, the scales or the dolls, as they, they call them in Japan, are clearly influenced by Gears from Zeno Gears. And it's, yeah, there, there's so much from Gears that's in uh, Chronicles X that if you play Gears, you can appreciate X significantly more. And I agree that coming from Chronicles and especially for a lot of people that was a first zeno game that was hard to follow up with X. But tetsuya Takahashi did say for leading up to it that this is not Chronicles.
1: Yeah, it's this is their this is the um the exploration focused game, not the not this story focus game, it did uh, stress that. And after yeah. uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 come out, and actually before that, he sort of alluded to a couple of times that that's how the series is going to go, as in they're going to go one story focus, one exploration focus, one story focus, yeah. one exploration focus. So I think the next thing we can look forward to is probably a Xenoblade Chronicles X2 that actually, you know, does more with that story because anybody who's seen the ending of that
0: it's definitely thinking what the hell is going on (laughs) man yeah and then when it ends with that caption this story never truly ends i was like wow (laughs) yeah
1: yeah exactly so i i uh i i mean i hope it's not it's not so much that um that i'm expecting it uh, as much as i am but i also hope that the next game is xenoblade chronicles x2 um, or, you know, even if they drop the X just so they don't uh, have any negative connotations with it or something, um, you know, even if it's just the, basically like the next, the spiritual successor, the sequel, whatever they want to do, I I really want another Xenoblade Chronicles X.
0: Yeah, I think if anything, they should just call it Xeno 2 or just X2, like because there's going to become a point where if you're running dual series with the same name, it's going to start confusing people unless they're going to get to a point where they actually officially cross the two over and say, Hey, this is part of the same lore. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yes. If, if, uh, cause it could be, I would say like with, he's good enough at writing. He can come up with creative ways to tie it in. Um, But if they, if, you know, he's shifted gears and he decided he doesn't want to tie it anymore. I think just calling it Xenoblade X um, is fine. You know, like have the Xenoblade X series and the Xenoblade Chronicles series. So the next title will be Xenoblade X because they probably won't go X2. They'll probably just start with X, have that line, have the Xenoblade Chronicles line. So the next Xenoblade Chronicles game is Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Um, or, you know, they might just shift it all together and drop Chronicles and X and and even Blade, they'll call it Zeno something else.
0: Yeah, or at some point, Nintendo may cough up the money to Square and to Bandai Namco and be like, "Hey, we want the rights to Zeno Saga and Zeno Gears."
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, with it's it's that's not out of the realm of uh, of possibility, especially for Square, since Square and Nintendo have such a close relationship. Um, especially with the general good reception for Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and how well it sold, um, especially in Japan, it certainly wouldn't surprise me if, if Square thought, hey, at least maybe we should do a HD remake and, and re-release. Um, if not, yes, decide to uh, l- release the rights and, um, and, and let Monolith off do their thing.
0: Definitely. And also bring back, um, there's another series I'd love to see, and we spoke about it earlier, Bait and Kytos Collection. Yes.
1: The problem with uh, Bait and Kytos is that um, there were so many developers involved with that. The Tri-Ace, rights are all over the place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Triace, ace Tri-Crescendo, Monolith Soft, uh, Bandai, or Namco, one of them that was before their merger. So its I, I don't even know who owns that series. I'm pretty sure it's Bandai Namco. But then I'm sure there are parts of it that aren't owned by Bandai Namco, if that's even possible. There are, like, licensed parts in them that are owned by different companies.
0: That's, it sounds like, uh, what's the company that did it, the Soul Blazer trilogy on the Super Nintendo? Like, that company went out of business, and then you had the Alundra series came out. And, oh, God. Yeah, it's like when licensing issues become a problem when you have so many different hands in the pot. It's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: the reason why uh, Crisis Core and the PSP Kingdom Hearts game were never released on the um, PlayStation Vita store mm-hmm. um, to buy digitally. It's because of some crazy convoluted licensing issues with both of those games. Oh, I didn't
0: know that. That's... Yeah, the
1: only way you could get Crisis Core at one point was um, when they were doing like the like bring in your UMD thing and like mm-hmm. we'll we like put it digitally on uh on your PSP Go console or something like that and then there was like some really convoluted way to get it onto your Vita maybe I think but yeah it's never just been released on the store because of uh some crazy licensing issues which is a shame because it's actually a really damn good game
0: definitely I guess we can go ahead and um we At the end here, we can go ahead and wrap it up with uh, Q&A. Um, let's see. We got one question already from Liquid Metal. He says, uh, what about a Chrono Trigger Part 2 for Switch?
1: Yeah, it'll never be done. I think Square is just done with Chrono, and I don't know why. Um, chrono Cross, I guess, wasn't that well received. Um, but for some reason, some of these companies just decide to drop. A series and never touch it again. And I think that's where Square is at with Chrono. I don't think they'll ever go back to it. I mean, it would be amazing. I would love it. Um, but I don't ever see it happening.
0: Well, I fully agree with you, too. And I feel like uh, a lot of people, if you look at Chrono Cross, you know, like you said, it did not really meet expectations. It didn't, I don't think it sold very well. No, I think it sold pe- really poorly. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people, when they looked at Zillow, Oh no! Why am I When they were looking at Chrono Cross, you know, they were expecting it to be like Chrono Trigger because they were expecting Kiratori uh, Kira style art. They're expecting the campy story that just kept going and going and going. Because I felt like with with uh, Chrono Trigger. It was such a great game that just kept going and you just want to know what happened. Yeah. But if you think about it, there were te- there was technically a sequel to it called um what was it uh, uh came out on the teleview. God, why can I not think of it? Radical Dreamers. There right. was yeah, it came out and it's a really good story, but then it was kind of retconned and repurposed for Chrono Cross. And then if there's a certain point in Chrono Cross where it actually mentions that Radical Dreamers did actually happen, but it was in an alternate timeline, which makes sense given the time continuity thing. But to me, Chrono Cross, I feel, was an appropriate sequel because if you were to delve really, really deep into it, and one of my favorite YouTubers, Satchel Drake's, He actually did two videos where he talked about how Chrono Cross was the perfect sequel because it dealt with multiverse theory, super string theory, you know, time traveler immunity, like in a realistic sense of everything you did in Chrono Trigger, Chrono Cross is the consequence of altering time, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, the, the other thing uh, that actually just sort of popped into my head now is you know, why it's probably never going to happen is that um, – and a lot of these games, you know, a lot of these old series probably won't ever be revived just because uh, the people at the helm back then or the people involved in the project have either moved on, moved on to other projects, moved on to other companies, even left the games industry entirely. So it, it's really hard to – I mean, you can revive it if you want, but – is it even still going to be Chrono Trigger? You know, if if this if the say, uh, you know, at least a bulk of the team isn't involved with it. The same as, you know, with rare um at Microsoft now, it's like anything that rare makes is not rare anymore because I don't think anybody from the rare that everybody knows and loves is actually working for the rare at Microsoft.
0: Very true. You know, and I feel like a lot of people want rare to be sold back to Nintendo but that whole team that original yeah, exactly. team
1: the whole team is uh, dispersed throughout the entire games industry now it's uh, it, there's no point in buying rare because rare is just any old development team now that basically made Kinect games for the last 7 years like they're just it's it's not rare
0: and sea of thieves
1: <laughs> yeah Which, you know, I I when they first announced that I was like, Yeah, I could get on board, I could probably, you know, have some fun in there. And then they showed that E3 demo and I almost died from boredom. Yeah. Like, oh wow, oh, cool, you're going into a cave and there's a chest now. Why is this taking eight minutes of my life?
0: Yeah, it it really it didn't make any sense to me. Like I I watched it and I'm like, Okay, this is gonna be in four K, like really. (laughs) Uh, okay so power level amy has a joke question and i know her she's funny she's very satirical so
1: i have i have been uh watching some of them and they were the comments and they were pretty funny
0: yeah this this, she she's a youtuber too she's really big on uh doing live streams and she's she's done really well for herself i'm very 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 uh Impressive.
1: I'll have to uh, have to pop a <laughs> subscribe over there after.
0: So, um, let's see. Her question, she says, I just have one. If, <laughs> if you were stranded on an island, what console would you keep with you for all time? And would you DM and tell me to unfollow you afterwards? <laughs> okay, so that's a bit of backstory on this question. Because there was another YouTuber who brought up this question. Um, when I guess he was trying to do a bit of an elitism towards Nintendo better than everything else, right? And <laughs> his name just got brought up in the chat, it's funny. So, um, he's he his whole thing was choose between the Nintendo 64 and the Nintendo Wii or the Wii U, and so a lot of people we're saying, I don't want to (laughs) choose, you know, I don't, I wouldn't want to. It's just, why can't I like both? And he kept pushing the issue and it got to the point where it was like, okay, so um, if you were on a (laughs) deserted island, (laughs) which would you choose? So Amy kept going. She's like, okay, so if I'm on a deserted island, how am I going to play something? oh, well, we have generators. Okay, so how would the generators get to the deserted islands? That that doesn't make sense. And so she kept using logic, and she's purely... It was so funny watching this go down. And myself and a couple of the other people in the, the chat saw it. It was the funniest thing. And then the guy, ultimately, he got so frustrated at her because her last thing was, um, you know, if I have to choose between... The uh the the sixty-four and the we or the we you then that's like saying I have to choose Team Edward or Team Jacob from Twilight. And the guy got mad. <laughs> <laughs> the guy got mad. He's like, Why should I have to pick one of those two? Blah 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 blah. And so uh in the end, ultimately what happened was he ended up blocking her.
1: Oh, he messaged uh, yeah. her
0: and told her. Not to comment on any of his posts anymore and then (laughs) blocked her. But the thing is, she wasn't trolling him.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So, I don't, but okay, this, that has been a hilariously fun story, but would anybody really pick the Nintendo 64? Great console, great games, but there aren't that many games.
0: That's very true. If you're really
1: going to be on a deserted island, it would make much more sense to take the Wii where there's like, Two thousand games.
0: Yeah, even if like a, was a lot there, of them are
1: shovelware, <laughs> but man, like it's Nintendo sixty four has a very limited uh, game library.
0: That's that's very true, and it's it's like if I were to name great Nintendo sixty four games, outside I think of, most
1: of them on one hand, or at least two hands,
0: that made by Nintendo, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it's, like, anything beyond Nintendo or Rare, I don't know. Like, I I can't say it was great. I mean, Mischief Makers Makers was really good. Yeah, Uh, I like
1: Mischief Makers. But, I mean, that was also the time where, you know, like, 3D platformers were huge. Like, a a lot of the big games on Nintendo 64 are 3D platformers, and how relevant is that today? You know, like, yeah, Banjo-Kazooie is probably fun to play for a little while now, but I don't think that necessarily stands the test of time for enjoyment over a long period
0: yeah i would totally pick uh super mario 64 over Banjo. could be kazooie any day <laughs> oh I yeah to, yeah of if course pick, yeah if it if that was a question like that i would that would be better but if i'm stranded on an island and if i've <laughs> got generators that you know came out of nowhere and uh <laughs> hey you could play the, you could play the switch for two and a half hours before the batteries it, run out Yes, I could. <laughs> oh my god! Um, you guys in the comments section, do you have any other questions other than the savage one that Amy brought out to make fun of Coloco? <laughs> uh oh yeah, the other games I would I would say that would be great on the sixty four, the wrestling titles if you're into wrestling.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Um what was the best wrestling game though it was like uh
0: no mercy or wrestling- on on the sixty four yeah yeah
1: um yeah no mercy i i love wrestling I, I have i don't keep up with it now but um other than like I don't like watch it every week, but I keep up with the general news
0: yeah i'm like look- i I occasionally watch it here and there um, when I get time. So I I feel like the lack of competition with WCW dying really negatively hurt wrestling as a whole. And I know a lot of people crap all over uh, TNA for being a sub-tier product. But I mean really from 2001 or 2002 onwards until Ring of Honor came around and became as big as it is now and we have the NWA just come back. And if we were to talk about new Japan and, and, uh, uh, I forgot what's the other one. There's another one. Aside from them, there wasn't any major alternative to WWE in their style. So,
1: yeah, well, we'll get back onto our uh, games. Liquid metal asked if I had a guilty pleasure, a bad game that I like that I should be ashamed of. Um, I don't know, I, I I play, so Counter-Strike Source, um, which I played for a very long time, even semi-professionally, I've played a couple of shooters in my time, so, I don't know, it's weird for me to like Counter-Strike Source, I guess, but it's not really a guilty pleasure, I definitely don't play it anymore. I don't think I have, like, guilty pleasures for games, um, maybe, like, crappy little mobile games.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I could, uh, you know, like, uh, what is it? Sailor Moon. Uh, there's like a Sailor Moon um, Candy Crush. <laughs> I'd play the hell out of that on mobile. I mean, that's pretty much it. I don't think I really – uh I don't think I have any games that I'm ashamed of liking.
0: Yeah, I don't think I have any either. Like, I'll, I'll be the first to say that, that Dead or Alive Extreme Beach Volleyball, you know, three –
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I'd love all those like anime titty games like Senran I mean, and Kagura and stuff. I I but I'm not ashamed to admit
0: that. No, not at all. I mean, you know the the aesthetics of the gameplay. I mean, it's so so I can't pay attention to the gameplay cuz you know the 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 3D physics. <laughs>
1: <laughs> those jiggle physics.
0: I mean, you know that that, that I, I have to really thank Tobu Nobu Itagaki for coming up with the realistic jiggle, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, do you know the uh, the Senran Kagura
1: series, which is like on the highest end of uh, fan service nowadays? Uh, the The main artist is a woman, and yeah. every time one comes out here over in the state, like over in the West, they're just like, "Oh, this game is like objectifying women. It's sexist." Like the the woman, the Japanese woman who does all the art for this is like. I just like drawing girls. <laughs> like, like I just like drawing like big, beautiful, jiggly, disproportionate girls.
0: It's the same thing with Xenoblade Chronicles too. They did the same exact thing. Yeah, yeah. And the main artist was a uh, an ex hentai artist. I be <laughs> It's like people, especially the SJWs, and what was it, Anita Sarkeesian? Yeah, losing her mind. Oh my god, like.
1: for real like the xenoblade chronicles 2 like are we really going to complain about pyra who is pretty much covered from head to toe except for some booty shorts (laughs) wait it's not even that revealing i don't even understand why there was a like a mithra is you know yes she's showing massive cleavage she's got a really short skirt on but man pyra is basically fully clothed
0: from head to toe besides a portion of her thighs exactly mithra i was like man you're a that's she's my guilty pleasure. If I had to choose yeah, between Mithra, is, Mithra is definitely the better of the two. <laughs> yeah, you know, like when it got to the point in chapter, I think it was chapter, was it chapter eight or chapter nine? I think it was chapter nine when you, you had to pick. I was like, why? Why I
1: got to pick? <laughs> I I'm picked like, Mithra oh, straight away. I didn't even give it a second thought.
0: I, dude, I was in. I had some internal conflict. I had to go to Twitter and get make a poll. <laughs> well uh shadow
1: elite you know the jrpg gold yeah yeah he, he uh he picked pyra straight away and he was like there's no question i am like of course there's a question because pyra the wrong choice
0: <laughs> man i'll
1: I take the attitude any day <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly exactly i want a girl that i know could
0: kick my ass Especially all those scenes when Mithra would show up in the bed with Rex. I was like, we know what she's thinking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna destroy this little kid.
0: I know, right? <laughs> I was oh my god, that that that's hilarious. Um okay, this is the next question. Power level Amy says, What is your favorite wrestler and your favorite promo? Hey
1: uh Kane uh, and it's not really a promo it's like when he kept coming out on that episode of Raw and like choke slamming everyone and then doing his <laughs> re-pyro and then leaving and he did it like 5 times in one night it's the greatest
0: thing that's ever happened in wrestling <laughs> <laughs> uh my favorite wrestler I could say The Rock and I could say that sex that uh what that portion where it happened when he met Booker T and he's like and who are you and he pretty much buried him <laughs> on national TV? I mean, I the internet. rock,
1: some of the rock's promos remember, like, uh, his uh, one with Eddie Guerrero? Yeah, that's <laughs> so good, yeah. it's it's hilarious.
0: Like, it, it's, it's, uh, oh man, but uh, honestly, my favorite wrestler is uh, CM Punk. I have followed his career from the start to where he ended it. Um, My thoughts with him, like his favorite – my favorite promo from him was the promo with him and The Rock um, right before the Royal Rumble match because he spoke a lot of truth about the inner works of the company, about how you don't really get anywhere unless you sell some t-shirts and some merch. Like, it makes me think how much of that really was a shoot. Oh, yeah. I think
1: think, – a huge amount of it was, was a shoot. Yeah. And I mean, uh, the problem is that I, you know, when he says, you know, like you don't get anywhere unless you sell a lot of merch and stuff like that. It's, uh, yes, some wrestlers will get the hell. They will get a massive push, but there are some who have been, uh, who sell a crap load of merch that don't really go anywhere. So I don't know if it's a hundred percent true. I I don't, I, I don't hate CM Punk, but I also don't love him. And not because of that promo, I just think he's. And this is gonna probably sound so uh, awful for you, but I was like, I think he's a pretty mediocre wrestler in ring. Um, He's up there with the best promo wise, but I think I I never found many of his matches entertaining. His best match
0: to me, hands down, was with Undertaker.
1: At WrestleMania 29. That was... I'm not saying... I'm definitely not saying he hasn't put on amazing matches, but I generally find his in-ring skills to be average.
0: Like, if I were to have the perfect combination of a wrestler, I would take Kenny Omega's in-ring ability and CM Punk's promotional, like, his promo skills, puts him together. I I would say, yeah, that's the perfect wrestler. Because Kenny Omega... I don't think we'll ever see him in WWE. I don't
1: think so either. I think he's I, I, it's going to be way down the line if we ever do.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, like Kenny Omega it'll be a, to it'll me, be a Daniel Bryan all over again. It, yeah, it definitely will be. My two top favorite wrestlers right now is Kenny Omega and uh, AJ Styles, and Finn Balor is a close third.
1: Yeah, I, I'll always have a soft spot for Kane, as much as his you know latest work is. Uh, as far as in-ring ability goes, you know, he's way past his prime. But even going back to uh, his Jekyll and Hyde corporate Kane mm-hmm. stuff, what he was doing with Seth Rollins, that was yeah. brilliant. Like, uh, character-wise, promo-wise, yeah. I think um, Glenn Jacobs, obviously who plays Kate is, like, such an amazing performer. He could make almost anything entertaining if he wanted to. And uh, I'll always have a soft spot for Kane. Uh, from his debut... I've uh, loved everything he's ever done, pretty much.
0: Exactly. Like, him and uh, Chris Jericho have the amazing Uh, ability. Chris Jericho is
1: amazing, too.
0: Absolutely love him. They're so amazing at just, like, constantly uh, reinventing themselves. And it's like, the list? Who would have thought they would have (laughs) I think uh, nowadays, like...
1: uh, as in terms of like more modern wrestlers, you know, as you're saying, I mean, Finn Balor's not modern, but in terms of WWE, you know, mm-hmm. talent in more recent times, I think uh, Kevin Owens is incredible. I think for his, uh, for such a big man that his, his uh, his ability to put on an entertaining match is up there with some of the best ever. Um, and yeah. his, to- his versatility in the ring is like just insane.
0: Indeed, like, and especially when he does a frog splash, frog
1: splash, and uh, oh, I've I've seen him do. Um, I, I don't think it was in uh WWE, but I've seen him do a moon salt and uh, just his his move repertoire is huge. Like, uh, especially for the stuff he pulls off for being such a big dude that doesn't even look like he's in that good a shape.
0: Yeah, and it's like he's so acrobatic. Like, I'm I'm so impressed with it.
1: Yeah, like I, I do
0: I I love some Kevin Owens. And I mean it, it,
1: the way that he could mess up constantly in promos and still make it entertaining and not and not like devalue his own character was is is also really
0: great. I think he's really great on the mic. Indeed. Oh man. Um Oh, like what what are they Do we have any other questions? Or y'all want us to stay on some wrestling? <laughs> I, I will
1: have to head off uh, pretty shortly, probably about 10 minutes time, but, um, okay. Yeah, uh, mind. let's see.
0: Last question I see, uh, is from Shinobu. He asked, uh, Jay, would you, ho- would you hope they bring the new Sinrin Kagura to the West for switch?
1: Yeah. And I think they will. I don't think there's any reason not to. Um, the last time I spoke to, uh, marvelous, uh, mm-hmm. marvelous international, who are the ones that have it localized and publish it over here. Um, mm-hmm every single title sells consistently so they're not you know amazing million copy sellers um over in the west but every single title sells a consistent amount that they uh they know they can make profit off so i don't i don't see them stopping localizing them i think they'll just uh continually come over here yeah and i do I, I it's uh it's not a series for everyone. it is full of fan service um but the the games aren't just fan service i think uh in my Peach beach splash review um which is a game about girls running around with water guns and spraying bikinis off each other, you know that kind of concept could have been done by any old studio and they that's that's what they would have sold the game on. But, like, mechanically, gameplay-wise and fundamentally, Peach Beach Blash is a really fun and good third-person shooter. It just happens to have sexuality as a punchline for the humor. And uh, I think uh, Semra Kagura
0: is uh, a great series. Yeah, I mean, definitely feminists would hate it, but, I mean, it is a series that if you guys haven't already checked it out, definitely get into it. Um, definitely go over to jrpg's channel and watch his reviews because if you're looking for some of the most comprehensive full inclusive reviews the most informative definitely go check out jrpg's channel but
1: short i i uh i decided not that long ago in reviews that i there's no sense in mentioning something if it's not relevant like if it's not noteworthy so like at first when i started doing reviews, so if you watch my older stuff you know it's very like I was writing a review for IGN or something where, you know, you have to mention, you have to go through all the boxes. Oh, I have to go through gameplay, you have to go through technical aspects, you have to go through graphics, you have to go through sound, you know, all that stuff. <clears throat> and it's just like I thought uh, probably about eight months ago, I thought, why am I mention why am I having this whole section of review to well, the sound, the, the soundtrack was okay. The soundtrack was decent. Like, why have a section for that? It's not noteworthy. Don't mention it. Either mention, th- mention things if they're really good or really bad. But if it's average, just leave it.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with you. I've actually come to that same point myself. Um, I used to do, like, when I first started doing reviews, uh, and I've been, I'm still new to YouTube. I started back in August of 2016. Um, when I started doing video game reviews, I would do long ones. I'm trying to, you know, like, like you said, I'm trying to hit all the boxes and go point from point point. And I got to a point, I realized that the longer you make the video, the more dits it is. A lot of times you lose your attention from people. A lot of people just want to know a brief synopsis of this, this, and that, or if you can really bring all in the inf- bring all the information in, and you have a passion, and do it in such a very way like very great way, the way like you do it, the way, uh, pelvic gaming does it. That's yeah. See, see, pelvic does like more
1: longer form reviews. Uh, but she does them in a really interesting way, and you can tell she's passionate about everything she talks about. Like even if she doesn't like the game, she's passionate about doing the video. And I think um, that's the kind. There's there's that's the kind of market. Uh, that's the kind of creator you want for a a more in depth look at games. Because um, you know sometimes I'll be scrolling through if I you know because I occasionally watch reviews on YouTube myself, and I'll scroll down outside type in World of Final Fantasy review. For example, like mine goes for like five and a half minutes, I think. And then when you type in World of Final Fantasy Review, there's this list of things that are like 33 minutes long. And uh, one was even like, I'm pretty sure topping 40 minutes. And it's like, why, why I would never watch a review video that goes for 33 minutes because I can't, I don't even know what, what you would be talking about in a review. Like you, f- for that kind of length, you'd have to be pretty much going over the entire story, which... I try and keep reviews spoiler free because people watch reviews generally to decide whether or not to get the game and having it spoiled for them. is kind of defeating the purpose.
0: No, I I definitely agree with you. And it's funny. You you mentioned a 30 minute video review. I actually, the last major video game review I did was Xenoblade Chronicles two, which was 40 plus minutes long that I put so much into it to the point where it burnt me out for the (laughs) longest I did not want to. I didn't want to play anything else. I didn't want to write any more reviews. I'm still burnt out from that video. And the thing <laughs> yeah. is, because I saw, you know, other YouTubers and content creators, like I saw, you know, people like a big Eric, a big Eric, and uh, Beat 'Em Up Woods, and other people put out reviews, and they've only played ten hours of the game. And I'm like, yeah, it's how it's- do you <laughs> go ahead?
1: It's the difference. Like I try and be upfront with how much I've played also, like with a review, because I will review a game that I haven't finished because sometimes it's just not feasible. Like I think it's perfectly fine. I didn't do a review of Persona 5, but I think it's perfectly reasonable to do a review of Persona 5, you know, after playing like 40 or 50 hours. You're mm-hmm. only halfway through at that point, but I think you have some perfectly valid opinions about the gameplay story and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, there are some other examples, like, you know, playing through only the uh, only path A of near automata, like one, uh, one website did, one major website, I can't remember, it was like GameSpot or IGN or something, but they only played path A and then they reviewed the game. And that's crazy because. Nier Tower is not that kind of game. You need to play a, at least a couple of endings to really yeah. get the idea of how that game tells its story because it's not normal. Um, but, yes, it's, it is odd that people will review a game with so short an amount of time. Um, but if you're going to do that, I think you can review a game you've only put 10 hours into or five hours into, if you really didn't like those hours and that's what you're doing the review on, you say like, this is why I only played it for five hours because I couldn't handle this, this, and this. And that at least lets the audience know that, okay, maybe it does get better later, but it's so bad at the moment that this guy really didn't even want to continue playing. I think that's helpful. Um, And there is certainly also an audience for really long form reviews and really uh, in-depth you know, analysis. Um, there's an audience for that. People do love that stuff. So it's perfectly fine to do that kind of thing. Um, but I just, I have a real feeling at the moment that if I'm going to mention something in a video, it should be noteworthy. I shouldn't be mentioning things that, you know, are just average or mediocre or just good. You know, it's, it's just, it just silly to dedicate minutes of video to say, Oh, well, you know, the graphics are good. And the sound is is good. It fits, but I can't really remember any of the tracks. Like it's just sort of pointless to mention that stuff.
0: It it really is, and I feel like especially if you're looking at Zone Blade Chronicles 2, Ten hours in that game is. I uh, ten hours two? is a drop in the bucket. That's a nothing. <laughs> like, I
1: spent uh, I spent like forty hours in chapter three because um in the uh, in pre-release with the review copies, you were only allowed to talk about events in chapters three and four, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um so in order to do my Q&A videos which I did prior to release um I just spent a crap load of time in those chapters and I didn't feel like I was like holding myself back from progressing I was still having a lot of fun so it's crazy that you could spend 10 hours in Blade Chronicles 2 and review it
0: So with um can you say you got a review copy of it right Yeah yeah So do you um uh, when it comes to getting review copies uh, from Nintendo is it true that you have to have at least 10,000 subscribers Probably for Nintendo
1: of America. Um, A lot of... uh, It's where I am semi-privileged in that I Mm -hmm. live in Australia where there isn't a huge market for the kind of games that I play. Mm -hmm. Um, So the distributors over here and the publishers over here are a little more... They're basically, you know, they get an allocation of codes or copies and um, nobody asks for them. (laughs) Yeah. Um, bandai namco australia is is not a publisher they're a distributor for all of bandai namco they also distribute for all of square enix and they also distribute for all of um nis america so bandai namco over here i've been told that sometimes i will send an email through to request a review code and i'll be the
0: only request they have for that game okay so you just re- <laughs> you just made me think i should probably talk to them because I know as I've talked with Nintendo of America here, and I've done some collaborations with them previously. Well, uh, Ninten-
1: so Nintendo Australia, the problem is that because they're local distributors, they only generally work with people that live in Australia because they're not like publishers. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're only like super <laughs> interested in actually getting local stuff, um, which is a shame. Um, but Nintendo of Australia, uh, they probably do also have a restriction on who they'll talk to. Um I just happened to meet uh, the PR, uh, lovely, lovely uh, lady by the name of Kirsty. Yeah, Kirsty at Nintendo. I met her at a convention and, um, yeah, just sort of got in that way.
0: That's cool because I, I know I recently just got approved for Nintendo's PR site because, you know, a lot of them have that Express.net type of website. Yeah, yeah. And I just got approved for that. And I was like, wow, I don't even have 10,000 subscribers, but maybe I know one of the publishers I've I, to. I, People have asked me before because
1: I was generally small. Like when I started getting review copies, I was a really small channel and uh, people ask me, you know, how you do it and whatever else. And I say, look, some publishers are going to be results-based as in, you know, they're going to say, oh, you need to have 10,000 subs, or you need to have this amount of view time, or you need to have this and this. Um, but a lot of publishers especially that deal with jrpgs are 100 percent rapport based if you yeah. can you be polite and kind and have a chat to them and show that you're generally passionate um you know they're more they're, if they have copies or codes spare ones they're generally happy to give them to you um and there is no harm in sending an email through and requesting you know, exactly. be polite. You just send them out. The worst that's going to happen is that they don't reply to you, which has happened to me plenty of times before. And I'm sure if I asked Microsoft for something, I would never get a reply um, just because that's the nature of it. Microsoft is much bigger over here um, than than other things, like both PlayStation and Microsoft. Um, but, you know, Microsoft is so big, they don't need my coverage. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, smaller niche titles don't need my coverage, but they certainly benefit from it.
0: Yeah, and you're definitely right. It is about building that rapport. And I've had a lot of people who are interested in getting into YouTube or content creating or video game journalism and review. And I've told them that you know, just reach you out to the start community.
1: first. Yeah, like yeah. I mean,
0: make a little start. You don't have to be big, but you.
1: It also you can't think. You know, a lot of people who want to start tech channels and stuff think that you know, without even any fundamental, they haven't even got a channel yet. You're not going to be able to get that stuff. Yeah. Even with rapport based things, you have to have something there. You have to show that you're at least passionate about doing this and you're going to uh treat the product in, in a way that uh is beneficial to them.
0: Yeah. You know. It, that's that's really how it is. And and also you have to look at it from a marketing perspective. It's it's more cost effective for them to if you also have a good rapport with them, for them to have you review it, they can give you a code than it is for them to pay a PR team or a marketing team to you know, run ads and what. Oh, absolutely. So, yes, yeah. absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I. You get know, get I your sh- name
1: out there, send emails off. Like, that's the best advice you can have. Just And be polite, you know, because a lot of, it's surprising, a lot of the emails that a PR person will get will be, you know, from like IGN or something that will just say something, you know, like uh, uh, can we have three copies of X And that's it. It's like a one line thing. It's very business-like and it's very impersonal. So to be a little more friendly, to, you know, show a bit more
0: passion to that kind of thing. PR people respond to that. Definitely. All right. So I guess we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, I really do. I didn't think we were going to go this long, but I have definitely enjoyed this conversation with you. This podcast has been amazing. I've enjoyed the, the chat section. They've been very active, very animated. And we have definitely, man, we've definitely got to do this again. So, Jay, thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. This is. No, thanks for really, having me on. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> this is probably the most fun I've had on the podcast to date. And uh, yeah, thank all of you for watching um, the casting of a podcast featuring JRPG. Jay, if you want to go ahead and uh, plug your channel, let people know where to find you and what to expect when they do.
1: Yeah, just, uh, it is, uh, just JRPG. So J-A-Y and then RPG. You can, uh, search that. Um, it's a bit weird because somebody already had the goddamn channel URL, JRPG, and they do like some weird, I don't even know what content they do. Um, But, uh, so if you ever looking for me on like social media or by URLs, it's JRPG with two E's on the end. So the G is just long form. Um, but yeah, you can find me Twitter, YouTube, all that stuff. I just mainly do JRPGs.
0: All right. And I'm your host, Mikhail Casanova. You can find me on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, God, Instagram. Other social medias that I don't use. I don't know why I have them, but I apparently at the time it was a good thought. And I have my own personal website where if you're looking to find anything, it's the hub for everything, including the podcast, my YouTube channel, uh, my music, because I still do R&B uh, albums. I still produce and whatnot. So if you guys are looking to find me, it's Mikhail Casanova on all social media, even on Xbox, as I paid that $10 to make that name. <laughs> mine, but unfortunately Sony does not want to allow us to change our names, and I'm stuck with the name I have for PSN that I had back when I was in college, so I'm still Mikel 88, or 1988, so (laughs) anyways, uh, definitely everyone go and subscribe to JRPG's channel, phenomenal channel, highly endorse it, and thank you JRPG for being on this podcast, thank all of you for watching, you'll be able to catch this on YouTube, and if you want to catch it on iTunes, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, soon-to-be Spotify, and Pandora Radio, definitely look up the Casanova podcast. It'll be available tomorrow. So thank you all for watching. We had a good time. We enjoyed you guys, and we'll catch you in the next one. Peace. Thank you.